you got it locked on Rodeo Radio. Hey, Tony, drop that. What, please? I bet. Dr. Dre in the place to be. Core rocket shit with my homeboy Steve. At the Rodeo, get stupid, son. Yo. Don't think that you can get none of Trey, the motherfucking doctor, the bitch hopper, the sucker motherfucking stopper. I'm fucked up, so don't mind what I'm saying. I'm just kicking it with Steve, Tony, A, and Susan. Yo, we can choose it. Don't shit to put in a mix. Know what I'm saying? We kick shit like and and that's a fact. And if your shit ain't in a mix, you know it's whack. And that ain't no bullshit. I'm kicking facts on a serious tip. Word up, Dr. Dre's in full effect doing serious damage, boy. Tony A! Tony A! When you're ready, go. What's up, everybody, here on Rhodium Radio? It's Soren Baker. Now, normally you guys see me on Unique Access. If you don't subscribe, please do. But today I'm here for a very special reason. We're celebrating the 100th episode of Rhodium Radio. And I'm here because I'm going to be interviewing our magnificent host, creator, and all that of the channel, Tony Vision for Rhodium Radio. And we have a lot to celebrate. In addition to talking to Tony A, make sure you guys look at the new Unique Access shirts, but also Tony A told me I should definitely talk about my brand new book, The Gucci Man Guide to Greatness. It comes out Tuesday, October 13th. I wrote this uh, with Gucci Man, and it's a phenomenal book. It's a lot of self-help information. Whatever you're thinking, think bigger, for instance. Don't settle for the small things, man. Life is what you make it to a large degree. So you got to get out there and get it. And one of the other reasons Tony always likes me to talk about these type of things is my other book, The History of Gangster Rap. And I got Rhodium in there, of course, for those that know the book. For those that don't, please be sure to pick it up. And it's just an honor and a privilege because as a kid growing up in Maryland, I loved and listened to uh, some of, I didn't know everything, of course, Tony A's music and his work with High C the Scandalous Crew, and then later I learned a lot more about Rhodium and everything that was going on because in Maryland, of course, we didn't have access to a lot of those mixtapes. Even though I ended up hearing some of them early in the game, I didn't get a lot of them till later on. So it's just an honor and a privilege to be here for episode 100 for Rhodium Radio. So without further ado, let's bring in our special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, Tony A. <laughs> um, I think people were expecting more like Takashi Six Nine or somebody like that. <laughs> sorry um, to disappoint. Yeah, sorry to that disappoint were looking you guys. That. People were saying uh, Kid Frost. They were mentioning a lot of uh, Chicano rappers, Conejo. They were mentioning uh, Criminal. They were mentioning a bunch of other rappers out there. But you know what? Um, it's just me. Yeah, it's just me. And, and you know who gave me this idea? Uh, my boy Johnny, John motherfucking Elkins, he tells me, uh, you That's know what? That's his middle name on the birth certificate. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. And he says, you know what? Why don't we just shine light on you? That's what he said. So I was like, because I was thinking about getting somebody else, you know, bringing in, you know, whoever. And um, he said, no, nah, let's do you, man. I was like, sure, why not? 
So here we are, Soren. Here we are, episode 100. And the channel is uh, exploding in a positive way, getting uh, millions of views, cleared 26,000 subscribers. So congratulations for that. Thank you. It's been uh, amazing to watch the channel grow. And you're really, I think, doing a great service to a lot of the artists that don't get a lot of attention otherwise other than your channel. So I think that's all to be commended. And even when you have like Noel G branching out a little bit, <laughs> you know, stretching the tentacles a little bit outside of just rap. Yeah. So, since you've had, this is episode number one hundred. Yes. As you look back, what's something about doing a show, doing a interview segments that kind of threw you off or that surprised you? Um, I did one episode where uh, I was. Tr I don't remember exactly what number of episode it was, but I was trying to bring two individuals that on the streets they had some beef. Okay, and. Um, Everybody knows them by Night Owl, Spanky Loco, okay? And I was just trying to bring unity because I'm all about unity. I'm all about gathering the people together and moving forward, leaving the things in the past. This was the incident that happened about 15 years ago. And uh, uh, kind of threw me off because I asked this individual a question, would he be willing to sit down and talk to uh, this individual and mend things? And uh, he kind of exploded, you know, but you know what? I was real thankful for him that I kept my cool and I just kept sip, sipping on my tequila and uh, <laughs> I just let him talk. And he spoke what was in his heart. And you know what, Soren, even though I got love for both of those guys, I really wish that I could have brought some type of healing to that situation and move forward as a Chicano culture. So, well, I think that's as media evolves and interviews evolve, there is, I think, an opportunity for that because of how someone like yourself that's so connected through the streets, through the music industry, through all these different things that a lot of people that may interview people aren't necessarily connected in those ways. I think there is the opportunity for that. But I also think now we have, uh, since there is more control of what messages and what happens, uh, People are more in control of it now than I'd say back in the day when it was just media conglomerates doing everything on their own and they may have pitted people against each other or they may not have had the best interests at heart for the culture, for the music, for people, what have you. So for you, how once that happened and now that you're reflecting on it, how do you think you can evolve yourself to try to make that make that difference? You know, there's other people out there and they reached out to me. So and after that interview, um, earlier in an earlier episode, I got together uh, two guys that I consider friends, a guy named Misfit, a guy named um, uh, Mr. Night Owl as well. They came here, they shook hands, they mended things, we move forward. That's what I want to see. Now here, moving forward, I've had people that have approached me and said, you know what? I got beef with this guy and I want you to help me mend that up. Here's the thing. This is a hip-hop podcast. There's a lot of Chicano rap. There's a lot of top of different genres that have come through here. Comedians, actors, uh, Cholo Goth, uh, My Boy Prayers. You know, so many different music has come through here. I just don't want to be the guy that wants to brings peace to everything. <laughs> right. You know, I'm all for that, but that's not what this podcast is made for, you know. You know, so back in the days when you had a beef with somebody, we didn't go to a podcast. We just took it up with that guy. Right. You know, no. I mean, what's wrong with that? Yeah. You know, but many people want to, well, you know, put me on your podcast so that I can talk to this dude. And, and believe me, that's just not one person, many people. 
So I kind of want to avoid that and just move forward and shine light on people's careers uh, that need help, whether you're an established artist, a beginning artist, or a struggling artist. That's what I want to do, you know, and I think that's my mission here on uh, Rodeo Radio is to help others. I feel, Soren, that I've been blessed uh, by the fans who have subscribed, who have tuned in, who have listened. I believe that I have been blessed to be a blessing. So if I can help other people's careers, whether you're a singer, an R&B singer, whether you're a rapper, whether you're a dancer, actor, songwriter, whatever, I want to help. Mm -hmm. But here's what I don't like. Certain people's approach to me that feel a sense of entitlement, that feel that somehow maybe that I owe it to them. And it's just not one, two, it's a lot of people. Right. It's a lot of people. And let me say this, that sitting in my seat, you have to have thick skin. Oh, I know that. <laughs> I've seen uh, some of the comments in the chat room. <laughs> They're pretty funny. Yes. Especially yeah. as it relates to me. <laughs> Everybody uh, put Soren Baker's name on the live chat. Sorry. <laughs> But that's something that uh, the thick skin thing is important. So for you, when I guess maybe the first couple of times somebody said or did something that threw you off or that made you uncomfortable, frustrated, pissed, mad, whatever you want to label yeah. it, how did you find that that was different than maybe when you were DJing, producing, trying to get in the game or even in the streets? How is it different for you being a, a interviewer? You know, because... I call myself a hood journalist and I got to keep my cool. You okay. Know? Uh, you know, there's, I'll give an example. When I DJed, I always had either a 380 or a nine millimeter on the right side of one of my turntables. Whenever somebody loped up, I pulled it out. Right. I can't pull it out right here if somebody loped up. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, you know. But I guess I just try to calm the situation here by changing the subject. And I had to learn that because. Uh, I was sharing with some people earlier that when I when I go back and look at some of my first interviews, it sound, I sounded like an interrogator. Mm. Uh, I sounded like, okay, you were there, weren't you? <laughs> you know, that type of shit. Now, it's, I approach it totally different. You know, I like people to get to know the person before the artist. Right. I always tell people, if they like you, even if they don't like your music. They'll still they'll, mess with you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, uh, no guns. I just use my words. Well, that's something to your point that Karis one I remember he had said, or at least I first saw him say this in the ninety in the mid nineties, right when he was embarking upon his quote unquote solo career. Once he left Boogie Down Productions and just be, went as Karis one, he said, "You never want to sell a song or an album. You want to sell yourself, sell the artist," and that's a testament to. You know, Karis won Boogie Down Productions from 86, 87 with Criminal Minded album and the singles they had before that all the way up till today. He's still one of the most revered artists in, in music history. But that's because whether people like him or don't like him, they know who he is. They respect or understand his perspective on things. And he's been very vocal about political commentary, social commentary, being a supreme lyricist a battle destroyer, all these type of things. And and that's because he let people know him. Yes. And he also, you know, was very good about making sure that people understood, you know, he lived in a homeless shelter. He did rise from, you know, he was the proverbial rose uh, that grew from the concrete and he made it despite 
probably some of the stiffest odds you could have. You know, coming up in a homeless shelter, is a mentor getting killed uh, in Scott LaRock, and then becoming one of rap's biggest stars, and yeah. then still today, uh, Corona, of course, coronavirus has tapped this a little bit, but he still travels and performs around the world, speaks around the world. So that's just a testament to what you're saying is like people have to know, like, respect you. Yes. And how, how do you find you yourself have been able to go from Tony A, the DJ producer, uh, to be able to now get people to know you in a different way as an yeah. interviewer, not an interrogator? <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, one thing that I want people to see is my heart. Number one, when I started, when I started doing this podcast, and I shared with you and I shared with the public, we only thought we were going to be live for maybe two months to promote the documentary in memory of Steviano. That was all I, I wanted to do. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. Yeah, and it started taking a life of its own. It started, you know, doing really good. We got over 25,000 subscribers in less than a year, you know, and I, I just figured, let me keep going. But I, I'm gonna answer your question with a question that somebody asked me. They said, you know what? I'm trying to start up a podcast. How can mine be successful like yours? And I, I thought to myself, well, there's signs of me being successful, but me, I guess I got to give it a couple of more years before I give that success title to myself. But I will say this. I said, look, there is no, there's nothing fancy about what I do. Instagram live is free. Facebook live is free. YouTube is free uh, to go live. The only thing that's not free is internet. Okay. Turn it on and go. And if people like you, they'll tune in. Absolutely. Th that's all I said. If people like you. Now, somebody said, he asked me, well, how do you get people to like you? I opened up my heart, man, and I just spoke from my heart. And if people can recognize genuine or real, they'll tune in, man. Uh, uh, people have asked me, are you the same guy off the mic that you are on the mic? And I, yes, dude. Right. Like, it doesn't get any realer than this. You know, my life is based on a true story. <laughs> so I think people tune in because I keep it real with them. Right. And what's one of the, beyond maybe the, healing per se what's either a question or something that happened during an episode that you were particularly pleasantly surprised either with yourself or what the dialogue ended up being wow that's a that's a really good um question and uh i'm usually the ones that are that are asking the questions but the response was um i asked somebody this and um I asked, well, I asked a lot of Chicano rappers this. What is Chicano rap? We're doing a Chicano rap documentary. And to add to that, Soren, and I think people contributed to a GoFundMe that we started. Yeah. We asked the public, if would you guys like, if you guys really like the documentary, would you guys be interested in us uh, producing, directing, filming a Chicano rap documentary? We will open up a docu uh, uh, GoFundMe. And all we said, you can give a dollar, two dollars. Our goal was uh, 15000 okay? And uh, you, you, we would always say, you don't have to give, but it's up to you if you like. Within weeks, within weeks, we met that goal and we surpassed it now. Right. Because they like what we're doing here and we're going to deliver it. Now, I would ask Chicano rappers, what is Chicano rap? And many of them, everyone had different answers. Some people didn't know. Some people's answers were simple. Um, Chicanos rapping to oldies. But there was one guy, his name was Rich G. And I asked him, what is Chicano rap? And he really surprised me. 
He smiled and looked at me and said, it's our culture. And to me, that was the best answer that I had heard on Rodeo Radio. It was Rich G, much love, much respect to him. And because uh, everybody else, was, Chicano rappers were trying to guess. Right. And this guy actually knew what it was. <laughs> so I would say maybe something like that is what uh, um, really surprised me. I interviewed another one here, which I believe unnamed. And I believe that he was probably very, very nervous. And he started confessing things that I think he shouldn't have never said on air. <laughs> right. You know, and, and I appreciate him coming. But like, I mean, I can't forgive him. I'm not a priest, you know what I'm saying? But uh, that really shocked me. And I was trying to change the subject, but he kept going back. So that threw me off that he said things that I don't think any artist should have said. Well, that that's one thing that speaks to people's comfort level with you and respecting and admiring you and then respecting and admiring the platform that you guys are building here with Rhodium Radio. And that's that's a testament to it because as a journalist myself, I've had, including a number of rappers that you know very well and have worked with yourself, I've had so many of them over the years tell me things that I could write books about that yes. I can't because they said that to me in confidence because I've gotten to know them over the years or they like me or respect me and stuff that, you know, I could never talk about. <laughs> but that's because once you, you know, as a quote unquote journalist, once we develop the relationship and the bond with the people that we're interacting with and covering, then they're more, uh, I think, forthright with you. But on the on the musical side of things, who did you talk to that you found gave you some really good revelations that even you might not be aware of? Because I would imagine, you know, a lot of people you already know a lot of their stuff. Right. Um, the first person that came to my mind when you asked me that question was Krista Glove Taylor. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> Krista Glove Taylor is like an encyclopedia of hip hop or you know, dictionary, you can ask him whatever you want. Right. He was there from the very beginning, you know, especially here. I, I always thought that Radiotron was called Radiotron, but he said, no, it was called Radio before that. It was only called Radiotron for the movie. And after that, it just took upon the name Radiotron. A lot of little nuggets like that. And then he shared a lot of things with me off camera, you, right. know, you know, that he said, he, it was funny. He was he was like, hey, man, they, they, ain't nobody recording this, right? You know, ain't nobody recording. And he told me a lot of stuff about a lot of artists that really blew my mind. But stuff like, uh, not that he said off camera, but on camera, like he shared stuff about Madonna, how Madonna was on everybody. Madonna was trying to bone anything she could. <laughs> you don't believe me? Go back and look at that. I'm just repeating what he said. But he said certain things like that. And I was like, wow, I was shocked that he said it. He goes, right. oh, yeah, she was trying to, you know, I was like, shit party with her, uh, just a lot of little things that he shared stuff with me about Dre, Jimmy Iovine, creating the Chronic album, uh, a lot of inside things that I didn't know. And then he actually even put certain people on blast, certain producers live on the show. So-and-so stole my motherfucking sounds. Right. You know, and I was like, shit, like, so I got a lot out of him. Another person that I love very much, uh, Violet Brown, whom I've been knowing since uh, 87, Wow. You know, um, I'm going to share something about Violet Brown and this woman has touched not only my heart, but my family. Uh, I was doing really, really bad. I chose to walk away from music. I chose. And I shared this with you on Unique Access yep. that um, I didn't love music anymore. 
So I decided to go get a job. Okay, and I remember I was making minimum wage, five seventy five. I was working 60 hours in four days. I had a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off, and I was bringing home like $205. Seriously, I, I was, after taxes, I was getting raped over there. Right. One day she calls me. She says, uh, hey, kiddo, how you doing? I said, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I had all my kids. Uh, we were living in one bedroom, and uh, they had the room, and I was sleeping on the floor. I was going to work. All I had was my SP-1200, some records. Uh, on two turntables. And uh, she said, um, you got, she asked me, do you have any gifts for your kids? And I said, uh, doesn't look like it, you know? She showed up on Christmas day with multiple gifts for all my kids. Wow. You know, and I'm not saying like she went to big lots and, you know, bought toys on clearance, Star Wars toys, you know, uh, uh, kitchens, like she spent several hundred dollars. Wow. And it humbled me. And uh, I've always loved Violet, but that just took that to a whole new level because, you know, she could have easily said, you know what? Okay, cool. Well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> right. You know, but no, people like that have touched my life. Her and Tony G. Tony G was uh, shared a lot of things. Um, interviewing Tony G was, to me was amazing. Uh, I never got a chance to sit down and talk uh, with Tony back in the days, but we would say hi to each other every so often, wherever he would go spin, I would be there. You know, I would watch him, learn from him. Well, Joe Cooley was a little bit different, even though Joe was my mentor, my teacher, but I known Joe for many, many years. So for me, it was a little bit more interesting, no disrespect for the love and respect that I have for Joe, but for Tony, because I didn't get to spend that quality time well, that's how it is for me with everybody, because <laughs> yeah, okay. I grew up in the distance and then now getting to know everybody, mm -hmm. including you, it's just been amazing because I know the feeling like when you're around something or you see something, but you're not part of it. Yes. Then to be able to talk to people and like, oh, man, I always wondered this, Tony G, <laughs> you know, since, uh, you know, like the first time I met you, like yeah. I'd been like, oh, man, I was so curious about all these things that just knowing your name from a distance and then... Uh, never running into you out here until uh, John M. F. and Elkins reached out and made it happen. So thank you, John, for that. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an amazing feeling. And then you get to people like the Krista Glove, who I've interviewed on Unique Access as well. Shout out to Krista Glove, Taylor. But uh, you get those great interviews and then you get people like Violet that, you know, become your friends and that really look out for you when you're don't think they're going to or just surprises you and it's just really um it's amazing i got lots of stories like that myself uh where people just hit me up or like hey someone what's going on and they you know come through with a blessing so yes i know i know that's a it's a great feeling and i think that as rhodium radio continues to grow you know that's going to happen i think as part of the radio show and i think even the mending of beefs and and getting people spotlight and all that is uh you know it's very important so for you as a as a host what responsibility do you feel to your audience to be a man of my word um if i say that i'm going to have somebody here then i try to come through if i say that i'm going to deliver something i would uh i've taken people's money um uh, i think we're probably probably about eighteen thousand. 
and we're going to deliver what the public wants. They paid for it, and I owe that to them. So I feel that's one of my responsibilities. There's been times. And you're talking about the documentary. The documentary, the Chicano Rep documentary. You know, we bought all new equipment, and I'll be honest, we pretty much probably spent already all of it when it per pertaining to new equipment. We spent over 12, probably 13 grand. Okay. Just on all new equipment so that they can get the best quality film because this is for our culture, for our people. Uh, um, and, and you know what? I want people in Europe, people in Japan, I want to, you know, to all be blessed by this, by our culture, by our music, uh, by our history. Uh, I feel that's one. Number two, one thing that I always get is that um, thank you, Tony, for stepping up and doing this for us. Um because nobody has stepped up and done it. I, I don't know if I've done that. I was just doing something that I love as far as filming, podcasting. Uh, I loved it when it started to take off, I guess. But now that I'm doing it, I love it. I love helping people. I love shining light on people. But most of all, I think people were looking for a platform to, uh, so that these artists can get shine, can get recognized, can get recognition for the stuff that they've been doing because radio stations, Power 106, K-Day, don't shine light on our people. That's they, true. They don't. And um, so when people tell me, thank you, Tony, I take that as a responsibility that I got to keep it going because there's been times, Soren, that I wanted to quit. I'll be real with you. I wanted to quit. Uh, just one thing that really, really irks me is booking people and then them uh, um, canceling all the time. Right. I mean, we have a live show to <clears> run. <throat> you know, there's people so on that tell me like this. My Wednesdays and Sundays are sold up for you. Like, they belong to you now. Uh, I get home from work. I take a shower. My wife cooks me dinner. I get my 12-pack and I sit right in front of the TV and I watch Tony A. Rody on radio. Uh, uh, the The... The response has been enormous. Now we started Freaky Tales. Man, you got my wife hooked. Man, you know, my daughter loves it, you know. So I almost feel a sense of, like, responsibility, like, shit, I guess I got to keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> As you should. You know, so uh, um, uh, I love I love uh, not only bringing joy to people's, uh, you know, lives, but also, you know, bringing them happiness and entertainment. And then given that, Music has evolved and changed so much, and now that it's mostly a digital thing, how have you seen that the music is still important, especially to your fan base in particular? Well, it's still very, very important, but I think, Soren, we're at a bad spot, a place in music, especially with this pandemic right now. Um, one thing that I know about the Chicano culture, they still buy CDs. They still, they still like hard copy. We have many, many old school people that say, you know what, shit, I'll buy a cassette if you release it. <laughs> right. You know, uh, uh, I'll, I'll buy the DVD, you know. Um, I know everything is on on social media. I know everything is on digital platforms. You know, you see all these rappers. I'm on all platforms. I'm on all platforms. Here's one thing I don't like about that. And, and let me ask you on this question, Soren. Do you think anybody can really make money off of streams today? It's very few that do, but the thing that I like about it is some of my friends that are emerging artists, you know, when they do get some streams on Spotify, they get a check. And whether that's, you know, $7 or $34, uh, 
the fact that you're getting some uh, acknowledgement and payment, even though it doesn't cover your expense or what have you, right. it's a validation and shows you that you are making progress and you are able to live your dream. Right. And I think because of how the industry has evolved and the business has changed so much, that validation is harder to get than ever, especially monetarily, because the more than ever, we've had the consolidation of power and the consolidation of uh, money, really, as far as the allocation of it, as far as generating money from your actual music. So there are fewer people that are making money to the way that they used to in the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, etc. So with streaming, it is hard to generate revenue, right. but I think it allows the artists that wouldn't otherwise have a chance to get some sort of feedback. And right. again, you know, once you've worked really hard and you get a check from Spotify for $23.12, then you have to decide if that's encouraging or discouraging. That's up to you, you know, what you want to do at that point. But at least you know what I'm doing is resonating with some people to where I'm generating some money off of this. And then I have to decide, am I going to pursue this? Or is it not worth my time because I'm not getting paid enough? And I think you answered it correctly. That's where I was going. Um, like you said, it's up to you how you want to see it. Is it encouraging or discouraging? Right. You know, you could look at it and say, okay, you know, people are listening to it. And then you could say, people are listening to it, but I ain't making shit. Right. You know, I still got to get up at five o'clock in the morning, go to work. You know, the difference for me was that at least in the 90s, people that were signed, they didn't have jobs. They were on tour. Right. <laughs> you know, today, it, they... There's a guy with a, a hot song on, on all platforms and a hot song on YouTube, and he's, he's got to go to work. Right. It, that's where I think it's kind of messed up for the artist. I know? agree. It's, it, it's definitely not the same thing, and I think it's an ironic evolution because what we had before was the complaint that it was hard to get a record deal, yeah. which it was, relatively speaking. But the difference is those gatekeepers or powers that be or the man or whatever, the thing that they did was there was some semblance of quality control and there was also a semblance of not everyone can do this. So it made the people that really wanted to do it invest that money wherever they got it, whether they got it from the streets, their uncle, they saved up, they worked, and then they recorded at night, whatever. But it was a real expensive undertaking to do it back in the day yes and yes. that i think kept a lot of people uh from wanting to do it and then when we saw in especially in the mid getting into the late 90s when the technology changed and studios in particular and studio equipment became much more affordable that barrier was gone because yes. as you know from making music in a studio it was you had to rent the studio you had to show up on time you have to have the equipment and none of that stuff was free Whereas in starting in the mid-90s, the equipment became so affordable, relatively speaking, that, you know, I remember going up in San Francisco, I was in a studio one time, and it was in the back of a laundromat, and it was just a, a mic in the middle of the room, it was in a laundromat that was closed at night, and I was in there with some signed rappers at the time in San Francisco, blown away, like, wait a minute. Because I had been at that point in, you know, the most expensive studios yeah. in L.A. and New York. But here were these dudes. Uh, this would have been 1997 that were like 
you know, making music right there in the back of a laundromat. But yeah. that's how bad they wanted it. Even though they were, you know, signed to independent labels, they wanted to get the big money and they wanted to do it. But that's the drive. Yeah. yeah. You know, look at the sacrifice those dudes are making versus now you need a laptop. It's like a whole, it's not even the same thing, you know? We're going to go to take a break. We're going to come to the end of our 30 minutes. So we're going to take a 10-minute break. So you want to go ahead and dismiss us? Yes. Rhodium Radio will be back after a 10-minute break. I'm Soren Baker, Tony A, episode 100, Rhodium Radio. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? It's Soren Baker back here on Rhodium Radio, episode number 100. It's a celebration tonight. And uh, Tony A's always reminding me I got to promote myself. So please make sure to watch and subscribe to me on Unique Access Entertainment on YouTube. I got my brand new book, The Gucci Man Guide to Greatness. It's coming out Tuesday. It's available worldwide and you can pre-order it now. As you'll see, it's a lot of great photos and life lessons, man. It's one of my favorite. Nobody cares. Work harder. And basically, Gucci got that from... Uh, my favorite quarterback of the moment, Lamar Jackson. And basically it's like, look, man, you know, you're going through your problems, you're going through your struggles, but you got to keep moving because bottom line is you're going to be the one that matters. And, you know, that's a life lesson. And that's what the book, The Gucci Man Guide to Greatness is full of. And then Tony A also told me to make sure to talk about this one, The History of Gangster Rap. That's the book I wrote that came out a little bit ago. I interviewed more than 30 artists for the book and, you know, Ice-T, Dr. Dre, MC Ren, dozens of artists. Shout out to RBX, did the VO for my commercial for that. MC Ren, Ice-T, Yuckmouth, CJ Mack. So many people gave me great interviews and are in my commercial for that. Scarface, got to shout him out. DJ Quick as well. And, uh, you know, it's just an amazing thing, man. So thank you, everyone that's helped make that a success. And that's helped make Rhodium Radio a success. And that's why we're here today celebrating. And if the last segment wasn't great enough, we're now joined by another illustrious guest. So we're going, this is amazing for me too as a fan, because I've never actually had this experience just yet. We're joined by Hi-C and Tony A. Man. Yeah. How you doing, Hi-C? What's up, brother? How you doing, brother? 100? Yes, sir. 100. I'm not 100 years old. I'm 100. Episode. Keeping it 100. Yes, keeping it 100, actually. But go. here's what I did. Uh, I brought out the bottle. My boy, Angel, from Los Tres Cochinitos, blessed me with this bottle. Said it's really good stuff. Mm -hmm. So me and High C, I usually like C Crawford. Yeah. But uh, we're going to go ahead and take a shot. And I'm so, going to get my water. Yes. That's really vodka, really. To be honest, he's lying. That's <laughs> a big-ass goddamn shot, bro. Okay, then let's just sip it. <laughs> Salute. It's a celebration. Yes. Yeah. So, thank you, everybody, fans. That. Okay. That's serious. You want another one? Let me start me up, man. Yeah, let me know if you want another one, big dog. <laughs> but uh, uh, first of all, first and foremost, let me go ahead and thank uh, Soren once again for coming and Crawford. I see. Uh, we've been on each other since teenagers. Um, That's crazy. I will say this: when Crawford, I you know, high C, when he really, really surprised me, and I said I want to work with this guy. It wasn't when he rapped for me at my house. He came at my house. What, what were you seventeen years old? You were in twelfth grade. Centennial? Yeah, still here. Yeah. And came to my house and rapped for me, and I wasn't really that impressed. 
I liked his voice. That's one thing that means Steve really liked because it was different. It was unique. But it wasn't until he said, come DJ for me in my high school. Took my equipment, went to Centennial High School, and I saw his inter interaction with the crowd. And I was like, this is the shit right here. So, Well, let's speak about that because you're a <laughs> DJ, you're a rapper. The, the thing that always amazed me about that is the artists that did not put effort into their live performance. Man. So High C, as somebody that's toured extensively throughout your career, what did you notice about the dudes and females, I guess, but the people that didn't really care about their stage show versus the ones that did once you started really getting out and about and touring with so many different artists? Well, the simple answer is when you start getting down on stage and you feed off the, the crowd energy, it just gives you that extra, I don't know what it is, like when you get the hairs to stand up on your arms. It's electric. Like chills or something. So it pushes you to even do better. Okay. So if you're sitting there being cool as a motherfucker and you don't want to be the guy that's like, I ain't going to break a sweat, I'm too cool for school, the crowd going to be like, okay, we cool too. We looking at you. They kind of feed off of you. Right. And you feed off of them. It's like a revolving kind of door thing to me. That's, that's just my opinion. Well, that, that works for me because growing up in Maryland, the thing that I had the benefit of is going to see go-go artists perform. Yeah. So everybody, that's part of the show is being very energetic, being very entertaining and mm -hmm. call and response. So it's very interactive. So uh, when I started going to shows, I started going to rap and go-go at the same time almost. Rap the was DMV a little bit, out there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> rap was a little earlier, but yeah. soon thereafter, I was going to a lot of go-go shows. So when I would see rappers that just stood, you know, didn't move or didn't like do much. It really shocked me because I was so used to seeing these amazing performances yeah. that had all this percussion and dancing and choreography and all this. And then, you know, the first concert I ever went to as a kid had Public Enemy. It was a Fear of a Black Planet tour. So yeah. it was Public Enemy, Chill Rob G, Heavy D and the Boys, Kid and Play and Digital Underground. So right there, you oh, had yeah. like, that was- That's movement. Yeah, that's a lot of movement. That's Public Enemy at the S1Ws. Can play, could dance, of course, Heavy yeah. D as the boys. Was that uh, digital with Pac? Or was yeah, Pac, Pac was one of the dancers. Pac was, yeah. So <laughs> I don't know that. I recognized him later yeah. uh, because since it was my first show, I saved up money and I got good tickets because I was like, man, if I never go to another <laughs> show, I got to see this one. You know, so I was able to actually see the people real well. And uh, I did re remember Tupac because he had a distinctive look, even um, because yep. he was very different than the Digital Underground dudes. Yeah, he, he had a different, yeah. a different uh, demeanor. Yeah, you I know. like Pac, man. Good dude. And he, you know, spent a lot of his formative time in Maryland. So, yeah. you know, in Baltimore. Yeah. So that's that. But I, I'm always curious about that. And Tony, for you as a DJ, how do you find that maybe, uh, not necessarily with High C, but just in general, that you had to manipulate the crowd in ways that maybe you weren't expecting? You know, uh, I, I, starting with him, this is how I found out where the crowd was at, if they were going to be responsive. I would get up there, they would see me set up the turntables, and I would always practice, like, to see people's eyes, to, to catch their attention, okay, this guy's cutting it up. Okay, cool, you know what, people are responding to the, that type of shit. Okay. Um, okay, cool, sound check was good, we're about to go up on stage. Start Where we started out was the intro music, he was very, very good even at a young age, um, hyping up the crowd before the show even started, just on just on some intro music. 
So um, sometimes we would go out there with some gangster shit like Atomic Dog okay. or Impeach the President or uh, Big Beat by Billy Squire. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it would like, boop, 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 boop. And if the crowd started like, yeah, yeah, we kind of knew, okay, they're, they're hyped right now. Like they're fucking ready. I mean, they're ready to spread them cheeks, you know. To, to <laughs> so, so sometimes it'll be a little bit harder. Hopefully, and, it was mostly women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so it, it, it was. It was um, for me. It was easy. I would know immediately if they were responsive. Immediately. Right. But when he would go out there and not throw your hands in the air, remember, like, um, what was that shit he used to say, man? Uh, man, um, well, uh, oh, if you want to eat your girl, I'll say, ah, oh, no. <laughs> don't lie, man. But right. he, the crowd used to go fucking insane. And I'm going to tell you what was beneficial to us, Croft, mm-hmm. was because back in the day, we didn't have the crowd going like this. With the oh, yeah. 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 They enjoyed the show. You had yeah, real interaction. Folks, yeah, they was real. They was attentive, you know. Okay, put it this way. This is how insane our shows were. He used to jump off the stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that was a big thing. The, yeah. the artists would jump in the stage, walk around the crowd, rapping uh, yeah, we, during yeah. the show. Uh, we, we got into some shit, man. I'm, I'm like kind of glad that we didn't have all the cameras and the social media shit. Like we got into some shit, driving around the whole country and doing just wild shit. Well, I, I remember too, like yeah. even reading about it, but then seeing it myself. I mean, artists were getting fights with the crowd. Man. Yes, yes. Yeah. I saw that a few times oh, myself. Yeah. Man. I almost, yeah, I almost got into I'm going to serve you again. You're not going to say no. Uh-huh. God, trying to get me going. It's happy that's hour. Truth, that's the happy hour here on episode one. Yeah, but I, when I met Tom, man, honestly, I was thinking the same thing. Like, he was thinking probably like, okay, his rap is cool. When I looked at Tom, you can't judge a book by the cover. I was a goofy-ass Tom. I'm Mexican. like, hit, I'm looking at Tom, I'm like, Steve, y'all know, rest in peace, was the guy. Because I used to go by Steve's with my demo tapes and bug the fuck out of him. And like, I'm like, Steve was another person that you couldn't judge the book by. Because you look at Steve and be like, man, this Asian dude, like, know? how does he know about, like, and this motherfucker knew every name, every who produced this, who played the keyboards on that. And, oh, that was old, this and that. Right. So he gave me, like, I was buying records, too. I had turntables at the time because I DJed myself. I had uh, the Technique. 1200 like it nobody could get techniques but i had them back then and shit so i used to try to get records like in records was for us kind of expensive yeah. to get two of the same shits all the time so i used to go there and bug him like man you know blah, blah, blah. and steve wanted to introduce me to tony so i'm thinking like and he didn't really say he just said tony you know so i'm thinking tony like automatically i'm thinking like okay a little badass kid like me from the hood black dude this and that and i saw tony i'm like uh, okay, <laughs> is this motherfucker gonna really be like? And he was so impressive, bro. Like when he took out the turntables and he was on beat, and I'm like, this motherfucker on beat. Yeah. And then when he was doing like the mixtapes, I used to sit there and watch. I would just leave because that shit took. It's not like Pro Tools today. That shit took forever for yeah. them to do mixtapes and tracking and and mixtapes, kids. Days. It's like really <laughs> a fucking tape that go around. Like if you show a kid a cassette tape, they don't even know what the fuck. They think it's like a motherfucking uh, paperweight or something. Like, let me. <laughs> they don't know what a cassette is, so it's real a real tape. So it took. They used to be back there, man. I'm talking about for hours. I would go and be fucking around and go get some need and come back, and they'll still be tracking. But Tony impressed me with all of his knowledge on just what to fly in, what to do, what to scratch in. Like it was just. I give him props for that, bro. Uh, to me, it was all about the artist. I always wanted to make, you know, high she look good, and it was just a cassette. Right, and it was just a cassette, and then to hear the response back that we were getting, it, it was just incredible. I mean, I still remember 
you know, and one day, fuck, I, maybe we'll make a little mini series. Uh, uh, this guy drives up to my house. He's wearing all white and he's got a long ass juicy jury curl tripping fucking everywhere. Okay. <laughs> and he's got these big old like goggles, like glasses, you know, and um, he comes over and you know, I'm like, what the fuck? You know, he had an El Camino, the white El Camino yeah. with the graphics and all that shit. Mm -hmm. And in the back, it had Outstanding. And guess what, it, what he was bumping? Gap outstanding band? by the guy. Yeah. 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 Holy shit. Yeah. You know? So Steve tells me, if I could back up a little bit, he goes, hey, uh, Tony, there's a guy up at uh, the back of the Swami. He's blood. He's from uh, Compton. Uh, he's from a treetop, I think. You know, Steve. Steve yeah. talk. And go talk to him. But this guy was a fucking nice dude. So he comes over, we chill. Um... But I'll tell you what, this fool right here, this one he showed me was a real one. We're leaving Centennial High and he's driving me home in his El Camino and some dudes, I don't even know if he even remembers. Some dudes say something to him and he's like, <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, like this fool right here throwing it up. Like, cool, I can hang with this fool. I like real. So, you know what? Um, it was all love after that. Yeah. You didn't tell him about the time we almost got killed with Steve Yano in the van. Where was we at Harvard City somewhere? No, we were we were done coming out PCH. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were coming out. Wilmington made a right on PCH, and you, yeah, you want to tell him or nah? <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that for the, the yeah. That's off the camera story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? Um, anyway, go ahead, sorry, sorry. I, I talk too much. No, no. I think it's it's amazing because the. The history of all this is so important. And one of the things that ties me to this that I think is very important that you guys both participated in and helped popularize or sustain at the minimum was there's, I think, this lost reality of the West Coast mixtape from Swap Meets, from Rhodium, because everybody always talks about the Red Alert or the Mr. Magic or off the radio, but they never talk about hey. the here. So why why do you guys think that is that that those tapes aren't more legendary or it's, revered historically? At the time, to me, like when we was coming up, the the spotlight. You know how it kind of go from like it'll go from the East Coast, it'll go back to the West. We had it in the ninety, like two Snoop and all the Dre shit. Now it's to me down south with the new movement, and it's just like they had the ear of everybody at the time. So our taste was still cracking. I remember a story like. Me, we was all on tour, Quick, uh, AMG, Second to None, and I had Tony, you know, because we did the tape, so I want to hear my own shit sometime and just As you a should. little bit. <laughs> I remember Eric Sermon, bro, and I never forget when DJ Scratch, Tony wasn't there, and I played the tape, and them motherfuckers was sitting there like, this is Scratch, you know, Scratch would be oh, that motherfucker. He's back. phenomenal. He's back. He was sitting there like, what the fuck? He was blown away by your tape, bro. And at, uh, my boy Premier, man, I love DJ Premier. He followed us around with Keefe in the van, and it was too short on the uh, actual tour. And they they heard his tape, and they just went nuts. Like, man, yo, you know how to get the yo, yeah. son, how the fuck is he doing this, kid? Like, he, he, no, like, they was just blown away. But I knew it, and I just kind of sit there and laugh because I'm the type that just kind of sit back and don't look for the credit on shit. But Tony had a lot to do with, like, a lot of shit before people even know about it, like Ice Cube rapping on certain shit, Dre, yeah. like the shit that I did with CB4 rapping for Chris Rock. That was my voice through the whole 
straight out of low cash and right. sweat for my balls. That's all. All that shit is me. But I don't go around saying certain shit like Malibu's most wanted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shit like that. Yeah. I'll say he. It wasn't sweat for my balls. It was you can lick the sweat from my balls. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that was Talking, all him. you know just this shit that we kind of. I don't know. We never been like the boastful type, but we got a lot of shit that we can talk about. Just. To connect the dots, you know, and that's that's something that I think is very important, and something that I know Rhodium Radio does a great job with, and that I try to do on Unique Access is Unique Access Entertainment. Also on YouTube, is that I always try to like from what my knowledge base is, and try to expand it by interviewing everybody, but showcasing all this greatness that we have in all this music that we grew up loving. You guys grew up making and listening to and then I just grew up loving and, and wanting to be a part of because you know there's this misconception like I love well, sorry put me on your show so I could tell you about me and Cardi B's <laughs> right. love child that we have that nobody talks about we're on it we're on it next week we Unique got a access. we got a like a five-year-old daughter yeah I know I know breaking news it's all good breaking, bro. Yeah. breaking news hi C fake and Cardi news. B and fake news Cardi B expecting second child next week uh-huh. No, but the the thing is, of course, the New York DJs created it and all that. And then to me, among the second wave, you know, is the Philadelphia DJs were phenomenal, mm-hmm. you know, with code money, tap money, cash money, all that. And then with the West Coast, though, you know, we had dozens, oh, dozens yes. of DJs uh, yes. and the Rhodium was a great, you know, showcase for that. And that was like I told Tony A before, that I had heard of him and heard some of these mixtapes mm-hmm. early. I don't know how they ended up in Maryland because I didn't know really anybody right. from California. But they, <laughs> that's the shit to me. Though, yeah, sorry, that was dope. When you hear your shit way out here, yeah, when you get out here, you be like, "Wow, the fuck they get that?" Because we didn't have the the luxury of today. Like the artists today, they can push one button and they shit can be anywhere in Korea. It could be yeah. wherever the fuck in Czechoslovakia. We had yeah. to jump in a van. Get out, you smell like goat cheese when you finish riding for 24 hours. Go to a motherfucker, sit down like yourself and say, hey, this is my shit. If you're in a bad mood that day, you're like, oh, fuck out of here. Okay, bye. Yeah, thank you for right. coming. Get out of here, you know? So if the, the platform today is just much, I mean, it's saturated as fuck, but they still have an opportunity to just, bam, get the shit out there. Yeah. Well, that, that's something I wanted to ask you guys about because the... The opportunity and what Rhodium Radio has built, I think, is so impressive because I know for me as a kid growing up, listening and liking your guys' music, Mm -hmm. it was hard for me to be able to find articles about you guys or coverage about you guys. So now, like, looking back, uh, what did you see the media's role in helping promote you guys versus how you see the media works today? You go first. Oh, well, just what I see right off right off top, like I said, was just the, the technology of everything right now is just so far advanced. Like you, we talked on the break about doing a Zoom message and shit. Like back then, it wasn't no yeah. Zoom yeah. your ass in the car or Zoom your ass on the plane or the <laughs> zoom, bus to zoom, get zoom, down there. Zoom, 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 exactly. Zoom. Yeah, Zoom. It wasn't no like, hey, let me flick a button and I'm asshole naked from down here, but I got a shirt and tie on up here and I'm at the house acting like a businessman, you know? Right. So you have to really go out and shake a hand and, you know, kick some tires and do some shit, you know? You know, I'm going to say this. Uh, how many people can say that they've been on the Source magazine, especially Chicanos? 
we were in a source magazine, okay? We were in Spanish newspapers. Um, most rap pages, you know what? And I have them all. Back then, it was a joy, and it was almost like an accomplishment to have been on that. You know, today, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, you know, people promote themselves, and that's all dope. But back then, it's almost like you had to earn it, you had to pay dues. You you had to be recognized that you were fucking dope to be on that shit, you right. know? Um, I think today, it's, it's, it's kind of hard, Soren, uh, uh, to, to judge it, because I know people that are just social media famous right <laughs> and and that's it so my question to like my to myself is would they have made it in the 90s in the you know early 90s late 80s and i would say 95 percent me and in, in the rap i would say no i would say no so yeah uh, i think uh it's interesting you say that because i remember about six months ago i was listening to an artist that i really liked uh, who came out in the 80s and then had, uh, you know, a five or six year run where he was prime. But I liked him, but I never thought he was like an elite lyricist. Right. Say his name. No. <laughs> Say it, sorry. Because I probably did like the same motherfucker. But. J. Rue the Damager. No. But the Ooh, thing somebody, is. Tell the, me, sorry. The thing is, when I was listening to him. Come on, man. He didn't come out in the 80s. But, oh, he was. Yeah, he was late after the 80s. 80s but the point is, when I was listening to it now. Was it with the Juice Crew? No. I was like, this <laughs> dude would be like the greatest rapper of all time if he came out right now. And yes. back then, he See, was like. You gotta tell, bro, you then he was me. like, he was above average, and I really liked him. And I liked him probably more than a lot of people. Yeah. But he wasn't like ve revered as a super lyrical. No. He wasn't. He's in the Juice Crew. He. he uh, but my point is, is, is the uh, the level of what we look at and what is good and what is not good and all that is so mm -hmm. different because I think of so many factors. But uh, it's just curious. I'm always curious about that. The level where people had they come out five or ten years later, where they would be or how they would be looked at. Because look at Big Daddy Kane. When yeah. he was wearing suits and dressing Man. up and all flashy, yeah. everybody said he was whack and dismissed him. And then fast forward three or four years, Everybody, everybody's yeah. doing what Kane did. Yeah, he, Kane's a shit. Even Kane can rap like a mother. No, he's one of the best ever. Yeah, of course, yeah. he's a shit. Still he's is. Shit. Uh, he's my top five along with, and that's not by order. Uh, everybody knows me who's tuned into Warden Radio. Rakim, KRS-One. Me. Crawford, of course. Uh, one, two, three, four. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I was just fucking. Me, hi, see, hey, one, me, compadre. Tu no me gustas? Chingas. Okay. A la verga. First black rapper to ever rap in Spanish. Exactly. Doing that shit a long time ago. Slash Mexican. Man. I was raised by the wolves. There you go. So. Yeah. But I think it's, it's uh, interesting to see the evolution and how how things are evaluated so differently than they were like Man. in your guys when you guys were first coming out or even a little bit before versus mm -hmm. now so uh tony for you with rhodium radio how now that the artists are emerging how do you find because we've had lots of talks yeah. off off air about this type of thing in yeah. general but yeah how do you find you look at uh consume and understand and appreciate music of the newer artists versus, you know, when you before you even got in the game, maybe when you were just DJing. Right. How does how has that changed or stayed the same for you? 
if I understood your question correctly, um, it's starting to kick in, huh? <laughs> yes. Already? <laughs> did, did, dude, I drank. I took one motherfucking shot and shit got me sweating. Yeah. You know? So, but anyways, okay. Let me say this. Uh, it's very, very hard for me, Soren, and uh, hopefully I'm answering it right. It's very hard for me to uh, find great music today. Okay. It really is. See, back then... West Coast had a sound, East Coast had a sound, the South had a sound. We were able to tell us the East Coast beat, I need some East Coast shit on my record. Right. I need some Down South shit on my record. I need some West Coast shit on my record. Today, across the board, everything sounds the same to me. It, it, it's very hard for me to find that. I, I'm going to mention two artists that I thought last year, 2019, Chicano artists, okay, that really, really caught my attention was a guy named Misfit Soto. Okay. And he knows that. He was actually my uh, episode two. Uh, he had released an album called uh, Embrace the Breakdown. I thought this guy was on his way up, and I believe he still can be. He released a record. It, it was so hot to me that I took it to Violet Brown, and she said it, she said to, to me, this shit is fucking hot. I almost saw him like, I don't know, like a Post Malone, so, some type of okay. shit like that. And another guy named Kujo, he had one good song that I really, really like. And I said, okay, there's hope. But I find it really, really hard within my culture to find really, really great music. Not just cool music, but great music. I, I, I'm looking for that. Of course, other people probably did differ with me, you know, and, and, that, and that's fine, but that's just my opinion. But back then, fuck, there was a fucking dope-ass album coming out every fucking month. Yeah. You know, and, and my thing is this, what went wrong? We had less. Today we have more. And I thought, I think today, my opinion, music got worse. Well, I have a bunch of theories on that. But, okay. okay. But, uh, but you hear me. I understand what you're saying. But I think the, there's a fundamental difference, in, like we talked about in a little bit in the last segment. Yeah. There was a level of quality control that we don't have anymore. Very true. And so if... When in your guys' prime, let's say there was a hundred artists, now there's a thousand. So of those a hundred, if the people liked, if people had different types of things they liked, they could find those twenty artists that they liked out of the hundred. But now to find those twenty artists you like, you gotta go through a thousand artists, and it's just a different thing. Mm -hmm. And almost no rap was even promoted on the scale that we see today. Right. So when you know, just talking about the Juice Crew, when Big Daddy Kane or Cool G Rap or Craig G or Master Ace or Roxanne Shantae or MC Shan was coming out, like that was an event because there weren't that many artists. Right. So when those particular artists got their moment in the sun or Marley Marl put out In Control Volume 1, <laughs> then all of a sudden, like, we, that's like a big deal because we've been looking for this album. We've been waiting for it. And... They've also, other than probably Shan at that point, nobody's even put out an album yet. This is like yeah. all their first album. Yeah. And and that, like Bismarcky, the same thing. So, you know, we knew them from singles. But he was by, talking about Biz. No. no. See, he didn't mention yeah, them. He, said he came that, out in the 80s also. He still was with the Juice Crew. So yeah. And he came out in the 80s. Yeah. Cropper is still the Over same 17-year-old guy that I've never helped. He hasn't changed. I love this dude. So. Over two. So. Yeah. But, yeah. But I, I was, uh, <laughs> I always find that uh, very interesting because the the way that artists are looked at and evaluated now, I think, is so totally different. Because yeah. back in the day, 
for me at least and most of my friends, we just wanted to know if we thought they were good. Yeah. Like, did we like them? And we would, you know, I happen to like almost all rap, all styles, which is why I ended up in my career. Yeah. Because I love basically every style. I might not like certain artists or I like stuff better than others, but mm-hmm. some of my friends, you know, they like East Coast. So when I would pull out an Above the Law tape or something, they'd be like, what is that? Yeah. Or, what are you listening to? Where's Pomona? Or, yeah. My, my theory on this, Soren, is I always tell people this. They ask, like, what's my opinion on certain shit? And I always tell them, like, it's like if we was painting this rhodium sign right here, rhodium radio, some person might start off with the outline of red. Some person might do it a different way. My thing has always been if you're going to do it, like, fuck what you're doing or however you're doing. Like, that should be just you period that should be just a no-brainer like okay i'm from wherever you from fuck that but just doing it right bro like sometimes i hear shit that's offbeat or i hear shit that's like um just like the sound quality because of our technology again like motherfuckers is doing records in the bathroom at the house because it's easy yeah but they don't make it good (laughs) but but if you really have a trained ear for this shit like tony does like i hear we can hear certain shit and my son, he's young. He'll ask me like, Dad, why you know? I'm like, listen to this. And this is where the snare comes in. And it's going, POM! I said, that shit's not right. It's supposed to be mixed a certain way. You can't hear what he's saying. Like, I just would like for them to put more effort into like, yeah. just making that shit. Because all of the shit ain't, ain't whack. I, I like a lot of the dudes that's really genuine about their shit and do their shit. I, I fuck with it. I like right. it. I'm, I'm not saying I'm going out and you're going to pull up on the side of me and I'm blaring the shit out of my car and I'm bumping it like crazy, but I respect the ones that do the shit right yeah. versus the ones that just kind of like, oh, rap is the new hustle. I'm going to get on and, right, right. and give me, you know, I'm going to make me a million dollars doing this crazy shit. And then the second, my pet peeve, I'm not to, to hold you up, but just we always had, like Tony said, identification shit. Like we from the West, we couldn't come out like the dude did and sound like future. Like you would get punched and you, you know the song. Oh, you I would know. get socked in your motherfucking face for trying to sound like Soren if he rap or trying yeah. to sound like Tony if he rap or trying to sound like Easy e We didn't play, like back then, the East Coast didn't play that, the West, the South. Man. You had to have your own shit and do your shit. Your own style, man. Yeah, like people, like now, sometimes I hear shit, I'm like, man, is that, who is that? And I'll be yeah. thinking it's somebody else and it's the same. It's yeah. like, nah. Or you hear a dude that's supposed to be from the city and he from somewhere else. It's like, man, he sound like he from Shit's crazy. It's all over the place. Yeah, it's we've lost. Uh, before Tony, you get to that. Just to to build off High C's point, it's like in a lot of ways, it's not totally, but we've lost. Each city has lost its identity to a yeah. large degree because of the ease of recording over the internet and the ease of getting in touch with artists. Yeah. Like, yeah. just I just remember a quick story of uh, MC8. And Compton's Most Wanted when Scarface came out and did In Too Deep off the music to drive by. Yeah. Scarface had to be here to do the song uh-huh. or it wouldn't have got done. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's the difference of now. Like you could just be any yeah. you, you could be in Ukraine and email somebody a beat and then they send it back to you. I remember when I first got that tape, I gave it to Crawford. I remember what he did with it. But before I tell you Music to drive by? Yeah, we're gonna okay. go ahead and t- take a break. All right, hold on. We'll be right back on Rhodium Radio. Don't go nowhere. Music to drive by talk coming soon. All right, everybody, we're back here on Rhodium Radio, episode 100, The Celebration. I'm Soren Baker. Of course, I'm taking Tony A's place just for today because, you know, we got to celebrate the man, the myth, the icon, the legend. 
And of course, we're joined by our special guest, High C. And before we go, since this is going to be the last segment, Tuesday is a big day, y'all. The Gucci Man Guide to Greatness. It's my latest book. Gucci Man and I did this. It's a phenomenal Go-wop. piece. And it's really an inspirational book. Like I said before, nobody cares. Work harder. There's a lot of lessons and gems in this book. Gucci's very intelligent, very philosophical. And we get into a lot of things that helped him turn his life around. It's very uplifting, inspirational, and aspirational. And for those that don't know or don't have it yet, my other most recent book, The History of Gangster Rap. You know, as you can see on the back, I got Ice-T, Shout Me Out, Exhibit, The DOC, and Big Les. So since they all think it's a great book, I hope, hopefully y'all do too. Now, on to today's topics. <laughs> also, be sure to watch me on Unique Access Entertainment on YouTube. Please subscribe if you haven't already. You know, we're, we're doing big things over there. I just had a big interview with Ice-T. Among many others, we got a lot of great stuff going on. So, as for the 100th episode of Rhodium Radio, first of all, congratulations, Tony A. Man, thank you. Yes. Thank 100, you. bro. I know. Uh, and I'm half 100. So, <laughs> there you go. So, that's pretty good. There you go. And High C so. has been uh, amazing, actually, really getting to sit down with you for the first time in, the, in, in reality. So that's, you, yeah. that's a beautiful thing, man. For sure. And uh, it's just amazing to see the, uh, the success. So, as you guys have been in the game for so long and as you guys are seeing your uh, careers evolve and develop and do different things in life and uh, inside or outside of music, what things have you been surprised with yourself that you're doing in 2020 that in 1991-ish you would have had, you know, you wouldn't have thought about it? Let, let, let me go first on that one. To the technology today. Okay. Technology is awesome. Uh, you know, I'm thankful for technology because back then, for for us, uh, Crawl, back in the day when we had a, a um, interview with Power 106, 10 minutes maybe, yeah. and it was because we had a new record out, and that was it. And it was pretty much simple question. So you guys are amazing. You guys are great. Where can people see you? Uh, we're going to be at the palace. Oh, uh, when's the record coming out? This is the date. So what can else people expect from me? Okay, bye. Get the fuck out. <laughs> pretty much. Right. Today, now, I encourage people. Uh, we have the technology, go live, see what happens, you know? I mean, if your shit is popping, it's popping. You know, if people like you, they'll tune in. If they don't, it's a wrap. Do something else, reinvent yourself. Right. Uh, but I am thankful that we have the technology that we can do what we do today. Uh, because back in the day, we never thought about pretty much having our own radio station, if you will, we call it podcast today. But today, you know, we have our own little shit. Back in the day, we would have been on cable. Huh? Yeah. We, we oh, been, the box. Uh, What's yeah, that? Access? Number, what do they the call that? Cable access? Yeah, yeah, we would have to be on cable and paying a gang of fucking money monthly. Right. You yeah. know, so today it's like all you got to do is pay internet and it costs $75 a month. <laughs> so here we are. And then you're worldwide. Yes. You, you know what? I, uh, let me say that I got people from Germany, from uh, give my, my boy uh, Aslan Nation from New Jersey, Kansas City, Texas, um, Arizona, Colorado, up north, that all. Uh, Inbox me, DM me, email me, or page me, whatever, you know, and they, they tell me we're watching, we're watching. And um, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. And that's why I give, I try to give people opportunities. Some people just can't wait to be on here that they get a little hostile. And once you do that, honestly, and it goes off the subject of your question, 
Um, for me, approach is everything. You'll never be on here if you approach me wrong. Right. You know, go start up your own stuff. And, you know, I'll leave it at that. But um, I think it's a good thing. I think technology today is a good thing. And I'm thankful that I'm still alive to see it, to see a cell phone. Because back in the day, this would have been some Star Trek shit to us. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. To, to go live is amazing. And, you know, I mean, come on, girl. Our phone's as big as this fucking thing. Like, oh, the first on. phones we hold had on. was like, oh, he got Go, 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 hold go. On, hold on. Sorry. We got the there brick you. phone right here. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, see what I'm saying? Thing. And this thing is heavy. And we used to ride it around. It's like three, four, five pounds. And crack a motherfucker <laughs> over the head. Hell yeah. That so, was a weapon. So, yeah. So, but sorry, my, my thing, like, to, to jump in a little bit, I was impressed. I was with my childhood friend, DJ Quick, and we did this little skit, like the doctor that got drugged off the plane for... You know, his right. seat or whatever. So we reenact the skit. It was early in the morning. We took a chance on really getting kicked off the fucking plane. But I watched. We did this little skit and I drug quick down the aisle and we was having fun or whatever. And just to see, like, he showed me the numbers of, like, how many people was yes. watching. And it went from, like, 400. Then it went to, like, 1,000. Because I don't really do social media. I just have my own reasons why I don't really like to be. Sometimes people just, everybody got a voice and it's, like, too many cooks in the kitchen the type shit you know i just got my own way that's a whole nother fucking right, right shit but just to see i was impressed by how the numbers jumped and how it jumped from certain people and people start chiming in so we took off it was like at about a thousand like because the plane still was there man when we landed it was like ten thousand people saw it twenty thousand and this shit had actually went viral and i'm like fuck this the power of social media Versus, it's real. This shit is real, bro. Yeah. And just in my opinion, just for me, my personal reasons, I like when people use social media for the good shit. I like when people use social media to, to bring awareness to certain stuff. Like, not just to come out there and be the baddest motherfucker on the block and I'll beat your ass and this and that. And you never could catch them. We had this thing like at the, at the high school, we call it 315 because that's when the bell rang. If we had a problem... It'd be like, oh, hey, nigga, three fifteen. Well, three fifteen, nigga, I see you. Right, yeah. right. So three fifteen, when the bell ring, you know what it means. Knuckle, tie your shoes up, get your shit together, cause yeah. it's three fifteen. But now motherfuckers can say, oh, fuck, I see him, big pussy, ain't shit, and that's on that. And you never get a chance to see him, cause he's in Iowa, right. in a closet, Utah somewhere. Yeah, you know, you got guys on there. Where you from, fool? Talking to somebody in China. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So you know, it's the good and bad of it. You know, that's the part that I didn't like about it. But just like to reiterate, it's the the goodness of it and using it for good shit. I love social media. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So then, Tony A, what are the plans for Rhodium Radio moving forward? Wow. Uh, moving forward, uh, getting a uh, bigger building eventually. Um, Signing. High C to a five-year deal with big incentives. Big time. I'll take one of those, too. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, shit. We could be the three nucketeers. Yeah, the, there you go. While you're handing them out. You know, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I'm not your puppets. So Well played. But well played. Uh, um, um, getting a bigger building and eventually inviting a studio audience to uh, at least maybe 25 to 50 people. Oh, shit. And, and to be honest... The Latino senior uh, Hall and shit. Exactly. Oh, woo, 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 woo. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. And, and for those that would like, that would like 
Um, we would offer, like, we just have a bunch of crazy ideas. Doesn't mean we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Offer a spe- special package if they want to pay to meet and greet after. And uh, the interviewee will get a portion, if not half, of whatever we That's charge. Dope. You know, for meeting Are you going to put like prizes under the seats and shit? Like, look under your seat. You might get a rubber. You, you get, get a, a car. <laughs> you get a crack pipe. Yeah. You get a sack. Exactly. <laughs> you get some good. You get a G-string. Used. You so. get a chlamydia test. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, definitely a come bigger on, building. Come on. <laughs> uh, people, me and John have been talking about possibly a Rodeo and Radio record label. Here's the only thing, because I have access to artists now. Here's the only thing that I don't like. About that idea is how do you make money? <laughs> right? How do you make money? Off no, of Tom, I know this. I know this motherfucker like the back of my hand. When these artists start coming up to him and saying, "Well, I didn't do this and I didn't do that," Tom's gonna slam the door in their face. He not gonna answer the calls. They booed me, homie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll be like, "Cooperate calls for you." So uh, yeah, Tom, you ain't, you. Know, I don't think you have the patience for. I don't have any level. patience. I don't. I know, I, see, I wasn't. You know, I don't I have any guy. patience. There's a lot of people that test my patience, especially on social media. And I will say this that, um, and, and I'm not calling nobody out. But here's the thing here's what I don't appreciate about people that call me out or are disrespectful to me on social media. I go everywhere, and the majority of the time, so when I go by myself. Right. And if I don't go by myself, I'll go with my son. And many of these people never tell me to my face. And it isn't that I'm the baddest motherfucker, but I'm not one that goes on social media and becomes an internet warrior, tells the motherfucker off. And then when I see the guy, they apologize to me. You know, why even go there? Like, I I don't get it. Anybody can post some dumb shit on social media. And I think that's one thing that I don't like about this generation because uh, we have a bunch of people like that. They'll, They'll post something. And then when they see you, they'll just say, man, you know, I got love for you. I got respect for you. I didn't really mean that. But you're dealing with somebody from older generation that takes that shit personal. You, you know. No 315. Yeah. Is that, no, no 315. No 315. You're like 2313. <laughs> like, look, look, look. I'm going to give you an example. Okay. And I won't say it out of, out of respect for Compton. Tim Dog, rest in peace. He's made a song called F. Compton. Mm-hmm. Who approached him as the Jack the Rapper? Uh, D. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Yellow Eyes. All you guys that were there mm-hmm. approached Tim Dog, and he just said, I just did it for the money, I just did it for the clout, or whatever. We get it. I understand that. But that was real life. That's not social media. Right. And that's what's going to happen when these guys constantly threaten people or, you know, whatever. So I, I don't even acknowledge them, but uh, shit like that does happen, you know. And um, mm-hmm. my thing is this, that if anybody has anything negative to say, uh, like a man, just say it to me. That's all I'm going to say, yeah. you know. So, well, to that point, I remember I had interviewed, this would have been in, uh, I think, 98. I interviewed Mac 10 and I asked him, I said, Mac, you know, at this point, you're putting out your, I think this would have been his third album. It was after, based on a true story, I think it was the mm-hmm. recipe was coming out and Thicker Than Water was coming out. And I'd gone to the set and seen the movie being made and all this other stuff. And I just remember asking him, I said, you know, at this point, some of the artists that have been affiliated with Cube had issues with him or left him or talked trash. But you, on the other hand, have been with him now for several years, longer than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I said, what was different about you or whatever? And he said, look, man, I'm not Ice Cube. So when Ice Cube is getting money, 
they were thinking they should be getting the same money when they're doing their first show. Yeah. Nah, that's Ice Cube, dog. You're not Ice Cube. Yeah. You should yeah. not be getting the same money. Yeah. Your record deal should not be the same. Yeah. He's Ice Cube. So he said, Mac 10 told me, he said, I looked at that like, I'm going to learn from this man and I'm going to use my opportunity to get in the door mm -hmm. to try to better myself and open myself up to these opportunities. So then we saw Who Banging Records. We saw a movie with Thicker Than Water. We saw West Side Connection. Yeah. And that's Mac 10 using his opportunity to get himself better, to better himself in his situation. And I think to what Tony's saying, like that's the key and something that I've always tried to learn from all the artists and the business people and the personalities and everything that I admire. It's like, what are they doing right that I can, you know, follow yeah. through for myself? That's real. I like that, bro. And yeah. that's what Mac, you know, Mac 10, right. I had already had that mentality, but when Mac 10 said it, mm -hmm. I had a whole different appreciation for him yeah. and a whole different appreciation <laughs> for the music industry and really business, period. And I think Mac it shows that he's been, um, you know, he sold millions of records as a solo artist. Mm -hmm. He had... What's our connection? He's had movie success and he's done constant promotion. He's been doing that's for a years. That's a promoter. Mac is yeah. a smart motherfucker. That's he my is. dude, man. Yeah, and, and that, that's promote the concerts. Thing. And I'm like, man, I'm going to be going to pick like on the road with quick. We're going to pick up our check, and it's like, man, who did this? And this is like Mac Ten is right. the promoter. I was like, what? Okay, yeah, Get Mac a dime, man. Exactly. That's my boy. But that's that's the the point, and then the evolution yeah. of it is that Mac is now throwing shows, and mm -hmm. people don't even know. Yeah. And that, that that to me is important. And I see the motherfucker, bro, and he'll see me, man, what's up, Crawford? Whether we would talk, and he won't say nothing about he don't boast a brat like just the coolest humble dude, man. There's just a few dudes in here like Dub C like a couple dudes that I just fuck with this super cool, like no matter what, Warren G. Yeah. Like I mean it could be a damn 8.0 earthquake, Warren G like, hey, hey, I see you, man, I'm gonna go on it. This earthquake shaking kind of hard, man. I'm gonna get out of here. <laughs> so, I'm gonna hit the but road. Just some cool, you know. Just never, right? Like you said, you, you, you just, like him with the cooking shit, like Griffin sniff. What's his name? Sniffing Griffins or something? Yeah, barbecue. Yeah, Warren G, Warren yeah, yeah. like you, people be into all kind of shit, man. Like Tony do shit. Like I got a car business. I'm like my own. I have my own dealership. So I just. If do you guys want a car, get a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get a car. Don't call me for shit. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the thing. I think. Part of the reason that I loved rap and one of the early examples of this is my favorite rapper, Schooly D. Like, he had his own record label. He did his own beats. Looking at my he, Gucci. Yeah, looking at my it's Gucci. It's about that, that time. time. But he had his record label. He drew his album art cover covers. You know, he rapped. He produced. He did all these different his things. His music was Did he do insane, PSK? Bro. Yeah, he yeah. did that shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did Gucci time too. Yeah, no shit. We one by that. one, nah, nah, knocking them out. That's the shit but, right there. But that's the thing. Like I looked at him, and I was like, wait a minute, this dude has his own label. He's a rapper. He's a producer. He's an artist drawing stuff. I was like, man, this yeah. dude is doing everything. This is amazing. The only thing he didn't really do was scratch, and that was Code Money. And I was just like, this is incredible. And that just got me as a when that record came out, I was 10. So like that just got me thinking like in that mindset already. So when I got in the game as a writer, then I was like, oh, I'm writing for a magazine. Let me try to write for a newspaper. Oh, let me try to write for TV. Oh, let me try to write books. Or let me try to do these other things. Right. And that I learned that from rap. Like, you know, and that, that to me is one of the beauties of what rap has done and, you know, hip hop culture in general is that it's really shown... A different layer of business to, I think, 
people such as myself that might have just said, oh, I'll just go get a job. Whereas now I try to, you know, do lots of different things around what I love, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Hasi? I think <laughs> I know. <laughs> you still pimping them hoes. Huh? <laughs> no, no. You got hoes you, you on know, the track. No. I'm going to say something. My track days are done. <laughs> and I'm going to put Hasi on the spot right now. Oh, oh shit. Oh, Here shit. we go. Wait a minute. How much of this yeah, shit yeah, gone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, part of it. Okay, next year, Soren. Yes. Because uh, our record came out in 1991. Yeah. Yes. So 2021. Scandalous. Mm -hmm. It'll be 30 years old. Damn. And we, you know what? Oh, fuck. You look good, and I look. We still look thank good. Thank you, man. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, man. Thank you, man. Thank you, brother. And you know what we're gonna do? I want to do the, either we're gonna do sit in the park, Ooh. or I'm not your puppet over again. Let's do it. Just for old times' sake. Okay. You know that'll be so dope. Do Let's that. do it. Yeah. So, so he said it right now. No, I'm, you, you, I'm with that. That's okay, cool. we should have been. Rodium Radio exclusive. Okay. Yes. So, so that's what I want to do. So 30th anniversary, just for the hell of it. I'm still not your puppy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There you go. Just throw the still in there. You know what? I have all all access to the Rodium Swami still. We could do. So certain parts mm -hmm. and I'm sure we can get second I, I'll get AMG's ass over here because they were all in the first no, one no, quick try to get everybody on it just little cameo parts Rock that wasn't a, who, who, that wasn't the Hughes brothers you no know no the hell no Ian Fletcher Ian Fletcher God damn yeah that motherfucker the Hughes brothers yeah this guy was wearing leather pants with no drawers on a hot day <laughs> What? Okay. Yes. Yes. And I think that sounds very confusing. <laughs> okay. He was on some Jim Morrison doors type of shit. You know. How does he like let it. your girl blow in the wind? Let it blow yeah. in the wind. Then the Hughes brothers. Let's be honest. Much love, much respect to uh, Alan and Albert. But their very first videos that they never mentioned was "Leave My Crows Alone," "Sin in the Park," and we gave them an opportunity to do our videos. Yeah. So, but you know. Love and respect to those guys. So, and they promised me a part in the. Me too, but my part was that I didn't. Just, I didn't show up. Well, check out the. Uh, Albert has a new. Uh, the Hughes brothers have the new show, uh, The Good Lord Bird. It's on Showtime. So oh, be able sure. to they check did that, that out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That that. Uh, they better get me in some shit. I'm telling you now, motherfuckers. <laughs> y'all better get me in some shit. Don't play. Y'all already know what it is. I don't. We ain't old, Croft. Yeah. We used to swing them. <laughs> <laughs> we got into some shit before like seriously like with other people like yeah. one thing about i know about they Crawford, was dope though man they they of course they, they was dope they, they, they was spend, dope vision they like the twins back then they would spend so much time soaring arguing with each other yeah. Alan, no this the light should be here i was like we like bro if y'all don't fucking come on we don't give a <laughs> fuck the day about to be over with right. but that's how passionate they were about like what they was doing like the young was cats. Real, technical about like the camera lens and angles and shade and this and that and the other was like more about performance and what you do in front of the camera so they they just like a dope team well i remember one when they did menace to society that that to uh i guess i remember it most notably in the quote-unquote white mainstream media that was so foreign to them to have two directors uh working in like you said one more on a technical and one right. with the talent yeah i remember with menace that the reporters that went to the set were kind of like thrown off by that because they're yes. not used to being a, a two-person enterprise. Right. And Until this day, and it like that right now yeah. in society? Like, we don't understand we the kneeling thing. Like, certain shit is just like, yeah. oh, now we finally... Now we get it. Now we get yeah. it. Yeah. After us, they went and did Brenda's Got a Baby, Tupac's oh, uh, yeah. for a single. Yeah. You know, just started working with Tupac. And by the way, the the... That documentary they released with Jimmy Ivey and Dr. Dre. Oh, yeah. The final uh, ones. Yeah. That, that shit was dope, man. Yeah. So, as a matter of fact... Was Trapped the first Tupac video, though? Uh, 
No, well, the first one they did for Tupac was... Oh, that they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah was for uh, um, Brendan Scott Baby. And I remember because in every video they did, they had a cameo appearance. I remember the UNLV hat Tupac had on, and I always was like, why is he wearing a UNLV hat? It's so strange. It's well, weird. Back in the day, man, you like... You just wear whatever. You wear shit to match. Like, now I'm kind of like... black socks hat? Yeah, like, you, you would wear no. some shit to match, and it's like, not like what, you know... You know how the LA shit go. Your hats, you, your yes. hat can get your motherfucking head knocked off. <laughs> the, the, the first, you got the wrong hat on. The first yes. guy that I ever saw wear a socks hat was D. Okay, mm -hmm. and he, he he got a marker and he crossed out a piece of the white and it said sex. Mm -hmm. And I thought that shit was dope. So yeah, I we was doing shit. we was doing that for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. sex hat. Okay, I'm not gonna say the name, but you had a hat that said N Ho. You remember that? Uh huh. N I G G A. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he did. And AMG had a hat said, "What's up, bitch?" <laughs> I just rocked. Oh, the scandals. glory days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just rocked scandals. That was it. But so. that was part of the LA culture. Go to the Swami, get the the embroidery. Get the oh, that was the Dapper made. Dan yeah. <laughs> See, equivalent. Yeah, but we didn't even know. No, we was on our own shit. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we was on a more of like a white T-shirt with the you know, big stitching, and the, you know, LA was different. Yeah, it's it's uh, different shit. It's interesting, too, and I remember once speaking to what High C was just saying about wearing the different colors, I remember I not understanding really anything about gangs early on other than <laughs> the names. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting that later when I realized, like, oh, King T, Ice T, Easy E, and NWA all wore neutral colors for so long, for years, until... I guess around 91-ish, 92, mm -hmm. and then it kind of changed uh, where people were wearing their colors. Yeah. But that really, looking back when I started understanding it much more, I was yeah. like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. I didn't See, back, like, to me, like, just my opinion, like, they wore neutral stuff, but everybody in fucking L.A. don't know, everybody in L.A. knew right. what side of the tracks they was from. Like, yeah. when we came out, they knew like them dudes don't wear what those dudes wear, and it was like we we didn't even have to say nothing. And to me, that's what's dope, Soren. If I don't have to, oh, I know Soren's a made man because he's you know he's from a certain place. But now it's like more boastful, like oh, I'm aware this and I'm aware that. Yeah. And you're not really from that. You just right right portraying that shit. Like the craziest uh, fucking time I had with that kind of shit was when I first went to Japan. And I saw like some big bald head motherfucker. They look like Southsiders. They look like yeah. Cholos. Yeah. Tatted up, tats on their face, soaring this and that. I'm like, damn, what the fuck the Cholos doing in fucking Japan? They done took it over. But the dude, <laughs> and when he walked up to me, he was like, hey, they could, they could, they could. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit. I'm wow. Like, motherfucker, you got on. I'm talking about Dickies, stars, yeah. tats on his face, tatted up like this, but they love the culture. So it was like one of those things where. Yeah. I'm like, what the? F he looked like a fucking killer, but he was so nice. He's, like, wow. I'm like, damn, motherfucker. Yeah. Well, yeah. one day Rodium Radio will take me to Japan. How about that? Yeah, yeah, I've never been. I've never been. No. Absolutely. Uh, me. Me loved you a long time. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and say it right now. I'm gonna speak it into existence. Let's do it. Uh, me, Soren Baker, uh, John Motherfucking Elkins. And Crawford Wilkerson, mm -hmm. I see. And I'll talk him into getting an IG because a lot of motherfuckers hit me up. Does High C have an IG? <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> Fuck so, with that IG. So, anyways, now, um, let me go ahead and say this. Japanese tour. Yeah, yeah. 1991, 1992, wherever we fucking went. I don't know why they didn't ask them, but they would always ask me, hey, man, is High C and DJ Quick real bloods? <laughs> the fuck? Like, 
different. I'll tell you what, when you see them, ask them. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, the fuck. Like, you, you know where they're from, the Compton, homie. Right. Like, shit. But that, that was the number one question that I ever got. Now, I should be sharing with you a quick uh, story. We were in Sacramento, and there was a guy. I was going to the elevator, go out for it quick. We had all performed out there. As a matter of fact, let me share this. It was a Halloween party, uh, Halloween concert. Jody, he opened up for us. Okay. Jodeci had that's opened up. That's weird, an interesting bill right there. As right? weird as that may sound, yes, okay. And uh, we went back to the hotel, and I was the last one where my fucking turntables. Were you turn tables. Back to the hotel? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in the hotel. Somebody stops at the elevator from going up. It was me about three or four guys, and they go, hey, man, what's up? And I was like, what's up, man? It's high C, and uh, uh, did you quick real bloods? And I was like... I, I, I'll tell you what, man. When you see him, you ask him, bro. I'm trying to go up there and go to sleep. <laughs> I was wearing all blue because back in the day, that's what we wore. Mm -hmm. Straight blue. We go upstairs, and I told him, hey, man, don't go downstairs. Some fucking idiots. About 30 minutes later, here's what we hear. Pat, 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 pat. Okay? About 15 minutes later, I go downstairs. That same dude, that same dude who told me that was laying on his fucking back. He got killed. Wow. In the fucking hotel. Man. Wow. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, he was looking for trouble, and he found it, man. We didn't have nothing to do with it. No, nothing to do with it. Right. Nothing to do with it. You know, so people, when you hear DJ Quick write songs like Just Like Compton, you understand what he means. And, and he was a part of it. Well, right. that's uh, something I talk about in my book, The History of Gangster Rap, with yeah. My Summer Vacation and Just Like Compton two different looks at the same thing of the yeah. gang migration throughout the United States from Southern California that I think is, uh, is really powerful and sad, but also very important to like yeah. understand that, you know, a lot of, I think sometimes people really get confused that stuff can be really much realer than they realize. Oh, it is, yeah. Bro. yeah. And they, they yeah. think it's just a act or pretend. It's not. But yeah. When it's not, it's really not. <laughs> you, you, you know, you know. I'm going to say, I'm going to share something with Crawford. I don't know if he ever knew this, but I'm going to say it to him. And first of all, remember Bundy? Of course yeah, we remember Bundy. Yeah. Our, not only was he, he was our security, he was our friend. Uh, Big Bundy, uh, may he rest in peace. I remember we were in Texas and uh, where, where was Bundy originally from? St. Louis. St. East, Louis. East Saint. And, I, and I know he played professional ball, if I'm correct. I think he played. Yeah, and uh, big dude. And he was so fascinated with the Compton culture that I remember he asked me, he goes, what's up, man? Where you from? And I was like, I'm from the city of Wilmington, homie. And he was like, how do you throw up a B? <laughs> <laughs> now, back in the 80s, Wilmington had a lot of bloods. Okay. He's had pain to uh, Chronicles on the west side. And uh, I was like, they just throw up a B like this, bro. You know, and he was like, like this? And I was like, well, well yeah, but I'm not, I'm not trying to teach you. I'm just, it was just a B. <laughs> oh, okay, cool, you know. And after a while, he was throwing up a B. I was like, what the fuck? You know? It was fun. It does. We laughed because we know he was kind of just fucking around and joking, but he'll have it all smashed up like this. <laughs> and he'll have it all like, you know, like all... And that's not how you do not, it. Not right? the correct way. Not correct, but right. it's funny because this motherfucker was like 6'6", six, six, yeah. 300 and probably 70 pounds. Yes. Wow. Yes. That will beat your ass. Like, but he was just a good dude. It was just funny. He was like, yeah, now I'm blood. <laughs> you know, I was like. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, much love, much respect. And yeah. may he rest in peace because he was our security. Yeah. Okay. 
big ass motherfucker. Now, let me show you another story. We were in Texas, 1990, either 1991, uh, the Palladium. Remember somebody threw a water bottle at Gangster D from Second to None? Yeah. And he jumps into the crowd and fucked that dude up. Yeah. He literally, somebody threw a, a water bottle at one of us, and he jumped into the crowd and fucked that. Steve Yano has the footage. <laughs> like, seriously. Wow. We couldn't calm Houston down that Bushwick Bill had to go out there and, yo, yo, slow the fuck down. Much respect and, you know, and may Bushwick Bill rest in peace. But we were like, hey, man, these are your people. Go ahead and slow the fuck down, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, Bundy was a down motherfucker, man. He was a real one, but he was fascinated with the, the Compton culture. Yeah, a lot of people get caught up in that. Yeah. Absolutely. So Malibu's most wanted. Uh, I'll be hiding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Let's keep let's keep it going, sorry. Okay. Well we got we could talk for hours. But let's get to the next topic at hand. I'm gonna serve, serve high seat a little just a little oh, bit shit. more. You want me to tell the real you want me to tell all this shit. Just huh? a little bit. Just a little bit more. Okay, but um as far as there are two different things because we have a rap, we have rapper and a DJ. So for you guys, it's always intrigued me, and one of the reasons why I did want to write my book, The History of Gangster Rap, was to show the the super talent that we had on the West Coast of artists that I think often get overlooked. But I wanted you guys for on the DJ perspective, and then from the rapping perspective. There's so much more to the West Coast than gangster rap, but do you think gangster rap was the main reason that the DJs here and the rappers here didn't get looked at with the same reverence as maybe artists in New York or different places that are so revered? I see your point in that. Like back then it was, now it's like kind of almost, and I hate the shit, like it's almost kind of okay to be like quote unquote, like the gangster or that like everybody looking for that gangster credibility or where they was from or who did this or what set they from. And back then it was like some real shit. This is where actually where we from. My mom stayed here, my grandmother stayed here, and this is where I'm from. And we was just rapping about shit that we know right. versus now it's like let me be a blood and I'm not trying to diss I don't know subliminal sneak dissing, but some people's be like they gotta be from a set kinda like to be on and rap, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, like yeah. these new rap, like, man, I'm gonna be like, I'm a blood now, or I'm a crip, I'm a this, like, just be who the fuck you are. It don't matter if your shit's dope, it's right. dope, you know? And that's kind of how I feel about it. It's kind of, it kind of, it wasn't accepted back then to answer your question like it was. It was like, oh, fuck those gangsters, you know, you can't, don't give them no shine, no this and this and that. And for a minute, I think we got caught up in, the actual fact of like not wanting to cross over and do commercials. I remember people talking oh, shit about out. Hammer. Yeah, the sellout sell thing. Yeah. Like, get the fuck out of here. If you can go get a fucking million dollar check from Pepsi or... Go get it. Hey, whatever, Pepsi. Mm, Man, we're, shit. we right here. Yeah. But I remember uh, to, your point, yeah. to your point, though, it's interesting because like just using, I would argue at the time, the biggest quote unquote crossover rapper from LA was Tone Loke. Yet yeah. he was in the Express Yourself video. Yeah. He was on the Above the Law album. Yeah. So even but Tone Loke got ties to the hood, so you well, know that Tone Loke. I know that. Fucking... Look at his name. For yeah. let's start there. <laughs> yeah. But you know but, just... all in the same gang. Yeah. But the point is, is that when 
people, I think, discount the artistry behind the lyrics mm -hmm. is where I get disappointed because someone like Tone Loke, whether you like him or not, he had the cheapy cheapy. Oh, yeah. He rapped about smoking weed yeah. way before that was popular yeah. on his biggest selling album, Loked After Dark. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, uh, the reason I'm asking this question is because I think there's... Uh, Gangster rap, as powerful as it is, I think it also got people distracted from the value of street reporting, of the value of telling these stories, which is why I wanted to write my book, which was to show if you look at Ice-T's lyrics and you print them out or Ice Cubes or whoever you like, DJ Quick, all these dudes that were the gangster rappers that were all just thugs or whatever, but you read what they wrote, like just as itself, it's phenomenal, mm -hmm. it's poetry. Just like we were It's looking. real life experience though. That's On what people that. don't know. It's like it's not some shit that okay, let me sit like when we heard like for me and Tone, like he played it a lot too. Six in the morning, police at my door. That shit, it just it drove me nuts. Like, man, this shit was like it was like my shit. Like he telling you, he taking you through the neighborhood for just a person that's sitting way out in the, the Midwest somewhere that never knew nothing about Right. California and how we rock and this and that. He telling you play by play six in the one. This is real shit that didn't happen to a motherfucker that's really from the hood, not just I'm saying this shit or I'm just barking out shit or somebody taught me, like I yeah. just said, to throw this up or do this <laughs> shit. Soren, this is real shit. So people was kind of, to me, like, we want to fuck with it, but it's too much, kind of like. Mm. And I feel like me and Tone got caught in that same shit with Disney Records. That's a whole other story. Like, right. we was the first rappers to actually be signed on Walt Disney Records. Yeah. And they did a lot of shit, bro, that, like, just to keep us, yeah. like, they paid other people to come promote. Like, if they wanted you to, like, you had the big radio show, you was Howard Stern, they would pay somebody else to, to, pay you to bring us on your show if you get what i'm saying like they wouldn't just say hey wow i'm gonna pay you know soren directly pay somebody they else almost, get the like, money they'll be trying to hide us almost. trying to hide it you know so it's like i want to write a book like you it's they like they want to get their hands dirty exactly <laughs> and you know what let me let me go ahead and say this we are probably and i say probably the the only album with a black and a mexican on it when it comes to rap yeah. right okay and just that broke barriers, and Disney didn't want to own that. Hmm. So, and it actually was the first and the last after us, after we cut up so bad on uh, yeah. Disney Records, they had another division, rest in peace, like Funk and Klein. They call it yeah. like Hollywood Basic. Uh, or Hollywood something. Basic. Hollywood they Basic, never fuck with, like, it was over, bro, after us. Like, we got a story, bro. It's, it's I'm telling you, it's. Yeah. Well, I need hey, to write unique that movie. You know, but it's almost yeah. like, why did you sign us? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, why, you know. You know, what, like, you went to find us at the Swamp Meet off of a fucking mixtape. Right. We weren't even looking for a fucking record deal, and then you signed us, and you want to hide us, like. Yeah. And then you had a bunch of college kids that didn't know shit. We were traveling everywhere. Steve Yano was filming everything, Philadelphia, mm -hmm. Wisconsin, wherever. And then take it back to them and say, why don't these record stores have our have your, our music, and we're signed uh, distribution through WIA, Warner Electro Atlantic. Big right. distribution. So my... my answer to you is everybody was intrigued with the gangster shit and they was almost wanting to be affiliated in some kind of way to say hey i know somebody or i know somebody that knows somebody 
type of shit, but they never would just full-fledged be like, I stand behind this guy, and I understand they plight of what they're going through in the hood or different certain circumstances. A lot of us was just telling what the fuck was going on right. at the time. Just like the New York rappers was saying, I didn't know what the fuck a bodega was till I got out there and got me one of them bomb-ass slices of pizza. I was right. like, oh shit, the bodega is dope as fuck. New York pizza's a shit. Yeah, that shit is good as fuck. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? I yeah. never knew that until Soren I hit that. Wait, wait, them dudes on. didn't know what like... Soren looked like, yeah, <laughs> but I, but like you know like from LA we got our own slang or so like oh he banged yeah. on me or he oh well, I went around the corner he hit me up well, that, that means was, somebody... that was one of the things I loved about rap because it was like uh, we had early in the game we had New York we had Philly we had LA general area Miami Houston it was like I got to like learn the slang for all these different yeah. cities mm. and like how certain things meant certain things yeah. based yeah. on you but know, it, once art. again, that's real shit. It's not yeah. like some fabricated, let me just make up some bullshit. Sorry. And America didn't accept that shit until later. Like now they just kind of, we yeah. in more award shows, we getting right. Grammys. It's like back then that shit, who was the first, was it Mix-A-Lot that got the first one of the was, first? Uh, GJ, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. That, they got the first mm -hmm. and then yeah. I know... Uh, I like Big Butt. So my boy, uh, uh, Sir Mix a lot. Mix a lot got yeah. something or whatever. But like, we wasn't invited to no shit like that. We had the source awards and our different little shit. Wow. Well, but yeah. recognition now, it's like, yeah. you know. Master question. Okay. I think it's very important. And I think the public deserves it. I already know the answer, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, I need the public to hear it. Now, and so when I've known you long enough now, we've spoke long enough, but I know for a fact that you know hip hop. I know for a fact you do. Okay. And I know Croft knows it. I know MC Ren, these people that you've interviewed know that you know hip hop. Here's the sad thing. So here's what I want to ask you. Do people ever look at you because of the color of your skin and say, what does a white guy know about rap? Or what is he doing writing a, a book about gangster rap? Yeah, that happens. And, uh, the interesting thing is it happens and it happens uh, repeatedly, but the overwhelming majority of it is very positive because like you guys, you can tell like I love it. Yes. That's yeah, the only that's reason I'm here. Say. And like, <laughs> you know, even on Unique Access Entertainment, please subscribe and watch my videos on there if you have And share and comment. Yeah, share, comment, <laughs> like, subscribe, all that stuff. But like you said, MC Ren, you guys, yourselves, I mean, like Ren, I've known since the 90s. Yeah. And, you know, he's let me come to his house and interview him because I'm friends with him. That's and we talk mean. about like things me. beyond the music because I built a friendship with him because I love his music. And when I, like Tony A, when I first met you and I asked you lots of questions, like Ren, I've been asking him all these questions about life. Like it's not, I'm only here because I love it and yes. I want to help celebrate it and champion it, but also do it in a journalistic way to where I'm not just like sucking dudes off. Like I'm trying to really, you know, bring credibility to how it's covered and portrayed as opposed to just doing fluff pieces. And that's why... Like I said, on the back of my book, I had Ice-T and DOC and, and Exhibit and Big Les, all people that I, Exhibit I kind of knew as he was rising because I was, you know, we're almost the same age. He's, he's a year older than me, but, you know, I met him early on. Yeah. But everybody else, you know, I'm looking at them on TV like, man, I wish I could meet the DOC, man. Like, yeah. 
Ice T man. man, oh my God, like he helped popularize gangster rap and he did this and he wrote colors and look at what he did on that song showing like what happens if you're in a gang and like the mentality, what's going through, like, do I want to be in this? Do I not want to be in this? So I always looked at it like intellectually. So when I sit down and talk to our Ice T, who doesn't need to talk to me ever or never needed to get to know me, like they're reaching out to me. I got to do a book with Gucci Man because when he talked to me, you could tell like, yo, this dude knows me, knows my music and respects me. But then at the same time, I can turn around and DJ Quick thanked me on his album. Yeah. And I wasn't even a teenager when he came out. Or what? No, no, I mean, excuse me. I couldn't even drive when DJ Quick came out. <laughs> you know, and and if you buy the Trauma album, he thanked me on the album. He yeah. shouted me out. Yeah. And but Soren, you know your shit, bro. Like just talking to you off the camera, like people respect. Like I said about the gang shit, the genuine people. Like yeah. you know, fuck the color. Like to me, hip hop and the rap shit and all whatever you want to call it, it's a way of life. It's the way you roll. It's like more than just. It's more than just like, you I'm know, familiar. I'm a hip, I'm a rapper. It's right. your culture. We roll like this on the East Coast. We roll like this on the West Coast. We roll like this down South. And you know the shit. You're like the gate, the record keeper, the <laughs> gatekeeper. You know, like what you was talking about, Atlantic Records, Sleeping Back. You named all these fucking, I'm like, damn, this dude really know his shit. Mm -hmm. One of the, the hardest motherfuckers that ever, to me, just is my opinion, that can rap. Eminem is like one of the hardest motherfuckers yeah, just yeah. rapping. That will fuck anybody up that try to go at him. Yeah. White well, dude, white boy. So it it fuck all of that don't matter. It's like your coach. You hear how Eminem speak, you could tell he'd been in the fucking filter. He was in the cut somewhere. Well, I'm gonna tell the, you too, like yeah. just using Quick as an example, when he thanked me on the album, mm -hmm. you know, I I've written about him extensively, uh, got to know him. And then he thanked me on trauma. So when I went to the record release party, when he invited me to that, I saw him and I pulled him to the side and I said, yo, man, I really like that really means a lot to me quick mm -hmm. because not only do I admire you and look up to you and all this, but like I really appreciate that we've built a relationship and we talk and we do all this stuff. And like I see Wild and we'll hang out here and there. Mm -hmm. And he says, sore, man, you got fans, too. And yeah. I'm like, whoa, you know, yeah. that's DJ Quick, you know. Yeah. I know David Blake too, but yeah, like that's DJ yeah. Quick saying this to me. And again, I couldn't even drive when the dude put out his first record. Like I was, yeah. you know, and, and shout out to the first song on the first album because then I can do I could identify. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> but the point is, like that's why when I, um, I just I really am living my dream. So when I see the haters and stuff. Uh, it is what it is, man. Like okay, okay. Some, of my boys, some of my boys, Tony, before you get to that, the last thing. One of my boys says, Soren, you've forgotten more than these people will ever even know. That's what I'm saying, bro. And I'm like, well, I try not to forget anything. Yeah. Soren, sorry. You just mentioned haters. You have haters? Yeah, man. Like, I get uh <laughs> it's funny because uh I'll never forget. When I worked at Rap Pages, I got to shout out Alan Gordon. He gave me my first job. Rap Pages. Um, so that's why I moved to L.A. I got my job. I, I graduated from college. Didn't have a job. Alan Gordon, always indebted to him. He gave me my job. So I moved out here to work at Rap Pages. And back then, there's no social media. So it's all, you <laughs> yeah. know, I was writing for newspapers, magazines, what have you. So then I get the job at Rap Pages. You know, 
Nobody put their picture in the magazine, what they yeah. look like or whatever. So I would get these letters. I still have them. They thought I was a black woman, my articles. The fuck? So I got these letters like, oh, our black queen is so great that you got this job. And they're writing me these like, <laughs> you know, these girls. You didn't dress up and no. you had to read them, did you? No, you these, girls, <laughs> these girls are writing me these letters saying like they're so happy and excited that Rap Pages had hired this black woman to do this great writing. And I'm like... I showed them to Alan and all these people. They were just laughing. They're like, they think you're a black woman? Like, what, <laughs> what in the world? Fuck? Yeah. You did the, uh, the Theo on the ass. Yeah. With Theo, everybody thought Theo was black. He was, hey, this is Theo. You oh, know yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was the first catfish, homie. <laughs> he was the first catfish. Hey, that's my boy, Theo. Shout out, nah, Theo. Well, I never met Theo so I can talk. Man, that's my... I met that fool. That mo okay, let me just stop. Recovering. But yes, Tony, the answer is... <laughs> that fool was in Dookie Bridge when I saw him. That's the homie, man. Oh, but no, it, but I got love for you, so I'll take it back. Is that cool? Yeah, that's good. What, what, what? Yeah. Okay, so Rewind. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's weird, man, because I get so much love. And, it, you know, I'm good friends with Dana Dane. I'm good friends with Exhibit. And it's just like, I'd much rather that people like Dana Dane and Exhibit like, respect, and admire me and hang out with my daughter and my lady and all this other stuff then worry about some dude saying I'm a culture vulture in the comments. That's like, fucking bullshit. You know, it's like, whatever. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, the funny thing is, too, uh, so many artists, Jay-Z, from Jay-Z to Big Hutch, have said so many things to me in person, on and off camera, mm. like even Dr. Dre, just so many people. Cube's driven me around in his car, like when I've interviewed him and hung dope. out with him for like. Sorry, you're the fucking record so, keeper, man. So, Do this shit, bro. That's that's yeah. what you. Everybody got a position to me to play. Tony spins yeah. the record. DJs produce. Hell of yeah. a producer. Like you know, we write lyrics. Like everybody, everybody job is important. The motherfucker that's writing on the wall, that's showing you yeah. certain stuff. Like it's no end to this shit, bro. Like the person behind the cameras. They, yeah. Like, I mean, right. everybody, bro. Like, everybody got a part. Well, and your part is just as important as the next man part. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm working on now to get into writing and producing and directing movies. Awesome. So, you know, that's hey, my so next steps. Don't do me like the Hughes brothers did. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> no but let me say this. Uh, when people ask me, are you ever going to get back into production? I'm going to be real with you. I love directing and filming better than me. Working with John... It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Because now, you know, back then we talked about it, Croft. Yeah. But now you can see it. Absolutely. You know, when you film it, you can actually see, like, the lyrics. To me, music is three-dimensional. You know, not only can you hear it, can you feel it, but now you can see it. So I'm glad, I'm thankful for today's technology. And uh, let me give a shout-out to, real quick, to everybody from my neighborhood, from the city of Wilmington, from Wilmas, Dr. Dre, Easy e Ice Cube, High C, DJ Quick, Second to None, AMG, and I can continue to go on and on and on. They've all came to my neighborhood, came to my house, and wrapped on my mixtapes in the 80s. Yeah. And I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And it's about time that my neighborhood be recognized. Crawford Kim claims his neighborhood from the city of Compton. Much love, much respect to them. Compton, stand up but also women can stand up we because must. we have history in this hip hop game. So, Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So what's the next question? Oh, I thought we were out of time. I thought <laughs> no, no, keep going, up. keep going. We got a couple of more, a couple of more hours. I'm only playing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm only playing. I'm only playing. Shit. No, but I think, um,
for you guys on the creative side, this is just a very different off subject from what we've been talking about. Yeah. But as a rapper high C and as a producer, Tony A, I want to get from you guys when the laws changed about sampling and it oh, yeah. became basically almost impossible to sample. How did that affect you guys creatively? Uh, you want me to go first? Well, you produce too, I see. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. No. Go, 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 go. For me, it was it was actually good. Okay, it was it was good because you. And I hate to like beat the same old drum, but like to me today, like me and Quick talked about it. It sound like it's one big ass like extended mix, and everybody's rapping on the same soundtrack. Like right. the Tony produced like it's the eight hundred eight kit. Even little Boomer shit produced back here. He like the eight hundred eight kit with the hi hats and the same all this shit. It's like if you st if you take the eight hundred eight kit away, you gonna make motherfuckers do something else like different. Like right. no, don't use that eight hundred eight kit. Stop using that big ass boom. Stop using everything. And now let's see where the rest of these guys go. So to answer the question, when it became strict laws on sampling, it was like okay. Now we got to be creative. And it's like, we have certain tricks that yeah. we will do. We can take like a snare and truncate the snare, snatch the snare out of a certain song. That's a clean snare. You still had that feel. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. take the bass, like a kick from a certain place or take something else and still make it like, like my song that I have now that quick producing quick. That That's like my bro. I love quick. He just, he took He's let me know reason, yeah everybody always say man when they hear uh high c let me know they'd be like man that's like a roger and zap that's not a sample at all but that's just how we had to like sit down and figure out how to continue to make the shit feel like the good shit but it's actually original and it's not barring or, or, or plagiarism or we yeah, taking yeah. anything from anybody you know what i'm saying so to me like when you shut something off the real like a thief yeah. if you put a lock on something that motherfucker gonna be like okay you put the lock on your steering wheel, I'm going to figure a way to break that shit off. Can, can I give a 30-second to a minute? DJ Quick celebration and tribute. So basically, I think DJ Quick is the best rapper producer of all time. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I've seen him make beats. I've seen him in the studio. But when uh, Exhibit and I had a radio show, Open Bar Radio, on K-Day, mm -hmm. one of the times I remember that. we had, yeah, so we had DJ Quick on. And one of the things that we did at the time, I didn't appear on it, of course, but they made a song called The Anthem. So they were making it, it uh, we were making it at the time, and DJ Quick did a verse. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd seen Quick on the producer, the engineer, the mixing side of things in the studio, but I'd never seen him write a verse. Mm -hmm. So basically, we're at Exhibit Studio, and DJ Quick is sitting there with the yellow notepad, writes his lyrics, writes his verse and then goes in and spits it and i had never seen that mm -hmm. in person so like it was just astounding to your point i see about how amazing quick is mm -hmm. is that i think as great as people look at him musically i think they underestimate his genius as a lyricist as a storyteller as a writer oh, yeah. like he's just off the charts oh, as he, far as yeah, how he talented he is yeah he can bar man quick Quick side note. No, no, that's that's dope. And and quick is the type that he will help you, like when you writing your shit or doing like me and him sit and exchange like we couldn't find a word that rhymes with this or something like that. And I'd be like, man, say that. And he'd be like, no, I don't say that. This and that. Like we just throw each other shit. 
And it's just so dope to how he'll think of some of the craziest shit. Like you said, lyricists. Oh, yeah. Because he done already did the beat. The beat is yeah. already knocking. And he would be like, well, Croft, what if you say blah, 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 blah? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't say it like that. So say this. And we just throw shit. And he's open, bro. Like, it's yeah, it's crazy. Like, and, and to rewind it a little bit, not to take time, too much of time, but Quick was like the DJ. And I was like the... Um, the MC, like the rapper, and this is before we met Tony. Quick had like this old keyboard, and we'll just sit in his house, and he'll make these beats up and shit, and I'll be fucking around with him, rapping to him, and he never really, to me, like had the desire to rap, and then he just started getting into it, and and you, you hear his voice and just how he speaks, yeah. articulate, and he just but still had the gangster edge to it and shit. Like dude is really serious about anything about music. It's like that dude, he's like all in one hundred percent. He's just like invested in anything about music, compressors, boards, yeah, yeah. lyrics, you know, whatever it is, he's invested. Now, I'm going to share something about DJ Quick real quick. Um, when I first met Quick, I met him through him. He walks into audio achievements. He's wearing a hat and he's wearing the trench coat that he wore on Born and Raised in Compton video. The uh, long trench coat. Yes. Uh, <laughs> see uh, how see how Soren knows yeah, the shit. Yes, He's the record yes. keeper all bro. the way down yes. to the to the ground. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was the uh, born and raised in Compton video. Of yeah. Ian Fletcher uh, trench coat that he wore. Mm. And I met him. He leaves. Okay. I go to Greedy Graves, which he was here earlier, and he's there. And he tells me, yeah, I want to ask you a question. He goes, I know you've been audio achievements. That was studio with Dre and those guys were right. in the view, uh, producing NWA. He goes, uh, do they have an automated board there? Keep in mind, I don't know what the fuck an automated board is. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. He goes, uh, does he use like, uh, does he pan his hi-hats left and right, like automated? Or does he turn it with his, with his finger? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, Scooby, like, Scooby snacks. Yeah, keep in mind he was probably about nineteen years old at the time. Yeah. I didn't know like what the fuck he was asking. Oh, I was just trying to learn SP twelve. That's all because I had to produce high that record. So starts um, starts small. Yeah, <laughs> one step at a time. One thing that I learned about Quick and that I learned about Dre, they're both geniuses. Okay, absolutely. You look at Quick's first album; it went gold, no problem. Everybody knew that he was, it was just a matter of time he was in a fucking blow up. Platinum. Yeah, it went platinum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but let me define gold, 500,000, platinum, 1 million. We're not talking about streams, we're talking about record sales. Yep. Okay, because today, this new generation, they think streams. No, record sales. Okay, so now, he went from the first album. By the way, my favorite song off that first album wasn't Tonight, Born and Raised in Company. It was Loped Out Hood. That was on some gangster shit. Super. It's it's all in my book, The History of Gangster Rap. I yeah. broke it down because yeah. he's talking about the streets and the neighborhoods yeah. in a that way that straight, really wasn't done. Straight gangster yeah. shit. Okay. Right. So now he goes from, uh, you know, his quick as a name, the album, to uh, Way Too Funky. Right. From samples to going all the way live. Robert Bacon. Mm -hmm. He picked out the Funkster. The Funkster. The perfect <laughs> dude. And let me tell you something. I learned from Quick like the way I learned from Dre. Quick was on on some next level shit before we even saw it. Guess you who know? brought Robert Bacon around? Who? High C. It's a lot of untold stories. Like yeah, I introduced I introduced Easy E to Quick. Yeah. He'll tell you when you talk to him again, like, man, how you it's a lot of shit that like 
We have stories that's coming, coming soon on Unique Access Entertainment. <laughs> and I was introduced to Easy by Rob Dr. Dre. I was introduced to Sir Jink by Dr. Dre all on the same day. Let I, me, let me, let's get to the Dr. Dre thing. Yeah. Because Dr. Dre, anyone to me that says he's not the best producer in rap history to me is ridiculous to even say anything else. I would have to agree. But one of the amazing tests is if you play anything from Ruthless, but just it, it doesn't matter what Ruthless thing right. that he did. If you play that on your stereo and you have a real stereo, mm -hmm. and then you play literally anything else from that era, it will sound like half as loud. Do it right now, mm -hmm. people watching and listening. It's astonishing yes. to hear the sonic difference of what they did versus literally everyone else. But don't they go back to what I was saying earlier in the interview when people got this pop-up little rap yes. shit that they can do yes. on the computer it's a whole and sonically different. is not even this That's the shit. other thing too, man. It's like, I tell, I talk to my friends about this too, like, and you guys know from being there and creating some of this exact music I'm talking about, and Tony A and I have talked about this, but like, when you listen on a real stereo or you listen on real headphones, not like iBuds or whatever, mm -hmm. and you can hear the panning yes. and the different channels <laughs> and like the sound goes, yeah. like, People don't, yeah. it's not that they don't do it as much anymore. It's that it's rare to hear it executed at the level that the Dre's and the Quicks and the Marley Marls and these guys were doing in the 80s and the early 90s at such the bomb squads, like just at this super ridiculously advanced level with uh, relatively primitive equipment by comparison. Dre had a, it just. Tone, you you can you can attest to this. Yes. Dre had an edge, bro. And this is the first time when I, that fucking I, you know what I was about to say. Of course. This is the first time, and this is for the producers, by the way, if y'all fucking around. The 808 drum was a old, like it's, mm -hmm. you know, Soren, you know what the 808 is. It's about this big. It's an old ass PC equipment that's been around. The 808 was actually a failure, I was told. Yeah. When they produced it, Roland was like, you know, yeah. they didn't know what the fuck to do with it. They, like, people hated it. Like, other I people, think that's the mainstream, how it got in the hands of rappers, yeah, or rap producers. The mainstream actually. people, like, hate It's like it was a piece of shit to them. Right. I walked into Donovan. This was me and Tony, we was working on I'm Not Your Puppet. I look, Dre left his equipment there because we kind of, Steve and Dre had this relationship or whatever, we come and get equipment. I looked at the back of Dr. Dre's 808 and he had this MIDI and you know what MIDI mm -hmm. is. I never seen a fucking 808 with MIDI on it. He had it built into this fucking 808, which it doesn't exist anywhere in the world. So MIDI allows you to lock your shit up to your songs and your rap and it plays right out yes. of the machine instead of going to tape and that's why i think when you said you hear shit that's certain like louder than other shit that's yeah. what dre was doing to cheat and i also think that <laughs> they, they, i think he was cheating dre my dude dre know i love it. i see dre we always holler at each other like i never seen dre when he didn't say hey what's up i see like that's my dude my love dre but I think he had a, a relationship with Big Bass Brian at the yeah. mastering plant. Like, look, Brian, <laughs> here go the bag or whatever. Here go the sack. My shit gonna sound like this and keep all the other dudes like that. And like, cause this shit always, always, was, always, but not distorted. No, it no. was like loud as fuck, clear, punchy. And, and just, we mess with the shit at Big Bass Brian. So yeah, yeah. So I yeah. Today people mess with the shit at home. 
Well, they, if they master, they don't need master. If no, they master, you know, I've told people have told me, oh, I, I master shit like in twenty minutes. Right. You know, that's why it sounds the way it sounds. Yeah. You know. No, it's a difference, and you know? that's why your shit sounds fucked up. Yeah, and that's that's where uh, <laughs> you know the real sonic. I'm joking. The it's sonic variance hard. is uh, dramatic. It's you know, dramatic. you know, so we can go on for hours and hours and hours. Uh, so we got two more hours. I'm only playing. <laughs> we only have two hours to go. Yeah, but y'all gonna be here by yourself. <laughs> it's hot as fuck in here, man. Yeah, it's a sun, homie. You work out. You know how it is. So, but I ain't been working out. My stomach's been growing. Muscles been shrinking. You, you know, I'm, I'm gonna say this. The COVID body. Yeah. One thing about Crawford that I'm gonna say. I know Miss Crawford, not high C, but <laughs> I love Crawford. I've been on it for a long, a long time, time. So we were teenagers. We worked together. Uh, my our careers were built together, and they bloomed from there. Um, so I've learned a lot, man. So this guy is like my brother, and um, I just no, number one. First of all, I wish him nothing but the best. Okay. Second, um, I wish people learned from us that you know you, there could be a duel and get along and prosper and go forward. Today, everybody wants to see wants to be a solo rapper or whatever but sometimes you know two can work sometimes Hell two yeah. can go forward you know so uh other than that you know what i wish nothing uh but the best for crawford 2021 i expect either for him to choose a song i'm not your puppet or sit in the park but we're gonna 30 do it, you know? yeah, let's do it 30 years i mean think about this croft you know this and made the rest of the you have home you have, you have homies that you lost yeah i have homies from my neighborhood that i've lost yeah you know and I'm thankful that we thank God that we're still here. Still here, man. So let's do it, and let's do it for the fans. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I don't give a fuck if we get two views. <laughs> <laughs> My well, moms and your moms. Yeah, exactly. Like, Whoever and we'll be happy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But no, I like to go, like, while I'm on record, man, and, and thank Tony. And it's just, like, when shit is good, you know how time flies? You never yeah. realize. Tony is at, like, 100, 100, as we say, 100. A fucking hundred, bro. Let me shake your hand. It's a big time. A hundred. Yeah. That's big as fuck. And Tony always had, like, he was always a go-getter, man. He never, like, sit around and waited. He Like, Tony was always into, like he said, mastering the drum machine or the MP. Like, he jumped into shit, and he would never give up, bro. He would just get into it until he mastered it. And, bro, this shit you doing on, on the Rhodium radio shit, like I said, yeah. when you get the contract for me, the five-year... <laughs> Whatever you want to, a couple million dollar, whatever you know, what I'm saying, why, John, whatever y'all want to throw me. This is part of your history, homie. I'll be like the uh, fucking like yeah. sous chef or whatever you you are. Yeah, and like I said, it. once you get his thing, I'm ready. Yeah, you know, you. Do get it. Because we know you're making big money right now, but we're, we ain't gonna we talk about that. We're all here. gonna go to Japan, homie. We're but, all of us. But Soren, I like to thank you. Like this is big, oh, bro. A hundred. Yeah, it's huge. Fuck, this is one hundred, bro. It's big, man. I need to take it. You like sushi? Not really. Teriyaki bowl? I'll fuck with the teriyaki Okay, I'll bro. take you. I'm a, I took AMG out, so but we need to fuck with some sushi. That's so, that. yeah, most definitely. You like sushi, Soren? I do. Okay. We're all going to get together. It's on me, and uh, I know the perfect spot. So, how <laughs> would you guys together? That's so, sushi. I love sake. You like sake? That's alcohol, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, oh, man. Man. Soren, what's, what's going on, man? So, Soren, you, you got something happened, huh? You blacked out. You did the hangover part yeah. two or something, huh? Nah, nah. Whatever, Soren. If he gets drunk, he's going to go crazy. Yeah. Fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> 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 
Bitch, uh, I'm the motherfucking real rapper, sorry, bitch. I'm the real King Kong ain't got shit. No, no, huh? You gonna do your, a couple of your first album? Got a yeah. whole album waiting on the motherfucker. Exactly. Yeah. Get me to the studio. Nah. Okay. Uh, but once again, for real, thanks. Like, John, Tony, man, 100, bro. Hey, John motherfucking Elkins. You gotta say his name right. John, man. What's up, bro? Yeah, bro. 100. Mm -hmm. That's big. 100. 100. And I'm half a 100. So, honey, I'm getting close. So you're getting close. I'm gonna be there. Yeah. I'm gonna pop, the, pop out of the kick with a G string. Hell yeah! I'm on play. As long as I ain't there. I'm and a pro club. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Every time I, I hang out with this guy, it's like we pick up right where we left off. Man, like seriously. That's real love. I love this. Like, is my seriously, girl, man. seriously. Love so. this guy. It's big, man. And I just want to thank you guys both for having me for this because. You know, it's just uh, one of those, as Dana Dane would say, full circle moments, man. Like, yes. just uh, learning about both you guys through Scanless, knowing a little bit about you guys before that, but to see the yeah. partnership from that album and, and all the great material you guys made uh, before on that album and then afterwards, yeah. uh, you know, it's an honor to be here, man. Thank and congratulations you, man. to you both. Soaring right back at you, man. I got to figure out, like, my phrase of what I want to say. Like, you know how you got the Hall of Records when you're doing escrow or some shit for houses? Like, he's the Hall of Records, like the gatekeeper. He knows right. the labels. He knows what verse, what song, who said what. Like, right. it's, we need yeah, that man. shit, bro. Like, yeah. if, if people not keeping track of this shit, like, where's the history? Where's, like, yeah. we need that shit. Like, we yeah. I got onto certain shit because of my mom and my aunt with the uh, Al Greens and the James right, Browns right. and the Rick James. And that shit to me was like, I used to look at the Rick James album and be like, what the fuck? Like, oh shit, these chicks right, on right. here. And he got, you know, busting out of Mary Jane or whatever. So the shit has to carry he on. He was a real freak. He keep the records, man. Yes, he keep the records. Yeah, well, my, my funny quick story on that is I learned about not all, but the majority of the music backwards. Because I would hear the song and then my friends, I would go to their houses and hear the samples from their parents. Because uh, my dad was a huge Beatles fan, or still is, yeah, but my yeah. dad's a big Beatles fan. Mm -hmm. And then he liked like Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan. So right. I didn't hear a lot of, even though he had some Stevie Wonder and James Brown and stuff, but I didn't yeah. hear a lot of it. Yeah. So like when I would go to my friend's house and like just say with the you know, the Mary Jane girls or something all mm -hmm. night long, I'd be, Big Daddy King, wait a minute. Yeah, no, that's yeah. That's where that's from. Because yeah. I'd be like, oh, Mary I was Jane, just yeah. at my friend's house and they yeah. were playing the real, the original yeah. version. Yeah. And then yeah. I hear it sampled. Oh, that's what But look at Walk This Way. Yeah. Run DMC, like, Aerosmith. if it's good, bro, it's good. It's, it's like, going to make it, man. Yeah. yeah. It's going to yeah. make it. Just like all three of us did. Yeah. Yes, sir. We made it. Yes, sir. And I'm thankful. You know, one thing that I'm thankful for, Soren, honestly, is that I'm still alive, brother. You know that I'm still alive because a lot, me and him have lost a lot of homies, and we're still here. So I'm very thankful for that, and we're here to celebrate it and talk about it. So that we're still alive. So thank God for that. Uh, Cross, Absolutely. Uh, thank you, bro, for inviting no, me to the. Thank you, my Tom brother. called me up, man, and it was like, hey, I'm I'm on the way, man. He talked to me. He said it's a hundred. I said, man, don't worry, I'm near. One hundred. You know, teenage friends. So yeah. I'm thankful for that. Crop, any uh, shout outs you want to give right now? Some time, brother. Uh, right now, man, I just want to shout out, I mean, everybody, man. I just appreciate what's going on at this time when, like, people are bringing awareness to all the situations that's going on throughout the whole country with the whole, just everything, bro. Like, just to me now, it seems like doors are being opened. 
people are even being called out like in the industry that was kind of like bullies and fucking over people and doing right. shit that they wasn't supposed to be doing. Like, I just like now that it's kind of like we pulling the motherfucking like wolves and the crabs and the, all the parasites and shit like with a vacuum sucking them out of the rocks and the, you know, because motherfuckers had their hand on this industry and just overall in the country to me just like yeah. had us kind of like in a chokehold and yeah. it was like if you say something it's like ah we don't believe in what's happening so to me it's a perfect storm and i hate that i have to say it like that because a lot of people lost their lives through this pandemic but when we was locked down confined to our space looking at tv and listening to people social media got a chance to let people voice their opinion and let people know what was going on in the whole country and now it's like, damn, this shit was really going right. on. Because at first we was too busy doing our own job. We got the stock market. We got a million dollar deal. We didn't give a fuck about, oh, that's their shit. Fuck them. I don't give a fuck. But now when everybody got a timeout, a good timeout, and right. got a chance to see what was going on in the world, like, it's it's just a good time, man. And you just got to adjust to the time. Like, don't look at it as a bad thing. Adjust. I lost a friend to COVID, like. Mm. it's not like people say it's fake or whatever but that's your opinion you can say that but I have a, a very close friend that fucked me up like I'm talking to him three days ago and then I called back and it's like oh he passed away I'm like what the f that's not true like COVID really hit so for me just the people the awareness of everything that's going on with like the whole injustice the whole systemic stuff everything is being brought to the table, and I like that about that. And Tom, thanks for letting me say that on your yeah, all good, man. show. All bro. good, like man. to me, I, I just love that people like all the shits coming out. You know what I'm saying? All the skeletons, all the all the yeah. Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Some people get fucked up, like yeah. the documentaries is slamming motherfuckers. Like, but yeah. I just like that it's coming out because if you're good within yourself, you don't have to worry about none of this shit. Like, I never fucked over nobody or I don't plan to neither Tom yeah. never did Soren you never did you never would have no. made it this far if he was fucking over people so right. the people that don't need to be here let them be exposed let them come out yeah know? and I think that's why we have a good name still because we never fucked anybody over yeah you know but uh, let me go give a shout out to first of all my neighborhood my city uh where I was born and raised pretty much in the city of Wilmington go ahead and serve yourself some more crop my city of we Wilmington we not gonna help about I know between us but, uh, I said one. Remember how we supposed to say yeah, one? Yeah, exactly. But we're going to have another one after this, so don't let me trip. Um, Fuck. So uh, to my neighborhood, the city of Wilmington, the city of Wilmot, my people that have loved and supported me from day one, I just want you to know that you guys have been a part of hip-hop from the very beginning. want to give up a shout-out to my boy Jaime. He owns a record label called Know Thyself. He's got some amazing artists. I'm going to give a shout-out to him. Also, I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, my boy Angel. owns uh, the biggest... Uh, uh, restaurant in the city of Wilmington, Los Tres Cochinitos. Yeah, give a shout out to my son, uh, B. Scanless, uh, for having me promote this. Um, I mean, there's just so many people that I can give a shout out. Oh, let me give a shout out to my boy, Jen, from Fashion Town. Uh, thank you for blessing me with SAP. Thank you for blessing me with the pro clubs. This guy blessed me with gear so that I can sport on rodeo and radio. He understands well, culture. Shit, huh? Yeah, I'll get you some. Don't worry about it. Just uh, don't, yeah. don't forget me. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what do you wear? Like like uh, uh, medium husky. Medium. Okay, medium. Okay, Jen, medium. Okay, large. Okay, or medium husky. Large here too. Large here too for Soren Baker. Jen from Fashion Town, he understands the culture, he loves the culture. And you know, you go you walk into his shop and he bust nothing but fucking hip hop. Especially some high scenes DJ Quick. I'm gonna have to take you there, okay? Okay. And uh so much love, much respect to him. 
um, to my boy El Jefe, uh, Baja Mariscos. This guy, you you tasted it, ceviche. Delicious. And his, delicious. His, like, shit is off the fucking chain on me. Um, other than that, um, if I forgot anybody, oh, my boy Boomer. Boomer, uh, the Remedy Yard. Let me give a shout out to him. Uh, Second to none, AMG, DJ Quick, everybody who was a part of my beginning. And Sigma last Craig. but not Gritty Greg. Mm -hmm. Last but not least, I want to give a, a rest in peace to Steviano because without him, I would not be here. So obviously, he was a big, big part of my life. Gave my first job when I was 11 years old. So 52 years old. I've known this guy for over 40 years. Wow. So um, um, thank thank him. He he brought us together. Yeah, he put us together, man. Yeah. So, I can never forget that. And I want to thank all the Rodian Radio fans. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of this. I love you guys. I guarantee you, whatever you guys ask me, I will try to uh, uh, meet those um, requests. So, um, you know, so thank you guys for tuning in. Other than that, Soren, I want to thank you for being here, for accepting my invitation and, uh, you know, making this happen. So, 100th episode, everybody. 100. I see. Yes, yes. Sovereign Baker, unique access. Like, subscribe, share, comment, negative or positive. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yes. So hey. go ahead, brother. You win it. All right. Well, I'll uh, give my shout outs. First and foremost, I got to thank my parents because they raised me to, you know, appreciate and respect anyone of any background and treat them as I'd want to be treated and treat them equal. Yes. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that's been crucial to my life to, you know, regardless of what somebody is or what they believe in or who they are, you got to treat them with yes. respect. And that's, uh, you know, led me here and, and their support of my career has been huge as well. I got to thank my daughter, Lauren, for, uh, you know, making me happy every day. My woman, Davida, I love you. And, uh, you know, all my family and friends that have supported me uh, to enable me to get, get this far in the game, to allow me to write books like the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness and the History of Gangster Rap, <laughs> both in stores worldwide. I like Sword. I'm fucking please, Unique ahead, Access bro. Entertainment. You know, subscribe to that. Watch me on there. Like I said, I got Ice-T interviews on there. I got MC Ren. I got MC8. I got uh, Dana Dane. I got so many uh, interviews. Uh, Tony A is all on there. High C is coming soon. High C is coming. Yeah, we in sync. chemistry. Yeah, man. I'm about to uh, have an epic interview with High C. High C. But I've got uh, you know Jay Prince on there. I interview a wide range of people, man. And uh, you know I'm just very fortunate and uh, very blessed to be able to like live my dream, man. Yeah. Like I dreamt to be dreamt to figure out how to be involved in rap and like knock on wood and thankfully i've been able to make a career out of it yeah, and uh you know it's a blessing every yes. day i realize that so no matter what else is going on in the world i'm like i got rap so i'm yes. like hall of records yes uh, one last question for high c he doesn't have to answer high c are you mexican <laughs> all the time shit there you go and we're out of here soren um yeah Rhodium Radio, we out. Episode 100 <laughs> in the books. You got it.